0: Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Monday morning, June 26, 843-661-0937 is our number. Good morning, Josh. Good morning. Good morning, Royal Rev of Radio. Good morning. So, five more days until we're out of here for a week. Um, if you got anything on your chest or on your mind mm-hmm. or um, that you want to get out there in the public discourse, then you've got five days um, to have that. We haven't decided yet what Friday's show is going to be like, right? I mean, it may be political, may not be political. Um, we're just kind of, um, eh, I say we, I guess. Um, you, you threw an idea out there. Well, I mean, I yeah. did, but, but I don't know how hard it is to, I mean, I want to be respectful of those who have to build that idea into a real radio show. Mm-hmm. And as much as you whine, you've led me to believe <laughs> oh, yeah. that it's quite the ordeal or task um, to take my idea and turn it into a, into a radio show. Depending. You got to have some sponsorship support and coordination and I don't know that we got time to do that. We're going to we'll do something a little bit unique and different um, this Friday before we ride off into the sunset. I think Rev's going on a big cruise. Josh, what you got in store?
1: Uh, I'm staying here.
2: I technically <laughs> don't have it off, so I'll
0: be Good in deal. office. So, so you'll be at work all week. Yes, he's going to yeah. make sure the okay. best
2: of shows actually play. The best we could do out. Yeah. Yes.
0: And you're going to where,
2: Rev? Uh, I'm going to, on a cruise, to the Bahamas. Our sons actually bought us a cruise for Christmas. That was a Christmas gift this year, and they were even so thoughtful as to know that the week of July Fourth is the week this show takes a vacation. So they scheduled it
0: for us this week. So that's good. Cool deal. Yeah. Or that so week, you next and, week. You and the bride are going to the yep. Bahamas. That's right. Good for you. Yeah. Um, good for you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe <laughs> one of these days I get to go somewhere like that. But up until now. <laughs> For sixty years of my life, have not included. A cruise.
2: I wish my sons were so thoughtful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wish yeah mine mine sons
0: do you. I wish mine were thoughtful. Um, well, well, do you have anything planned? I mean, uh, go to the beach, yeah. chill. You know, do what I do. That's a good plan. Um, well, I mean, I enjoy that. I enjoy it a lot. Um, you know, we were talking about a cruise. My wife and I talked about a cruise a couple of weeks back, and I said I just don't like being on a boat that long. I mean, I, I just the, the 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 idea of confinement. It is probably. It's it's my redneck roots and upbringings, I'm sure, but it's just like so. I'm on this boat for a week and I can't get off. No, I can't be on a golf course for four hours without you know looking at the watch. Right? Something's going on <laughs> somewhere that I need to be participating in. That's what you in. think, huh? Well, I mean, if you're on that boat, you're on the boat. Well, that's right? true. That's um, true. But you you think things don't work unless you're able? No, no, to No, 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 I'm not saying them. that. Okay. I, I just I have this 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 I don't know paranoia that something is happening that I need to be taken care of. Yeah. And if I'm on that boat. I have boat, that too. I mean, honestly. It, sure. I, mean, I get it. And if I'm on that boat now, I would imagine it's liberated because, you know, it's over there and out there and, and over there and I don't have to worry about it. You know, I was thinking about this. In all honesty, let's do this. Um, as, as we start this week's radio shows, is the world a better place? I mean, I understand you can say, well, I mean, this is better and that's not. This is better and that's not. In in the aggregate, is the world and our lives a better place because we've made all these technological advancements and I mean I'm thinking about I'm on a float at the beach and I hear my phone ping. And you know, I'm I'm on the float and I I mean I'm chilling, I'm enjoying life, my you know, a little bit therapeutic and cathartic and cleansing and liberating, and all of a sudden and I'm like, okay, is that my daughter? Is that my son? Yeah, something triggers in your brain it, it, and you have to Is th- that my it. business partner? Yep. Is the HVAC out on the roof of the building at such and such? Is life better or not as good with all these devices <laughs> that make us so accessible? And, and we, we're we able to make other people accessible. <laughs> I've, um, I've
2: thought of that a lot, and the only thing I've come up with is yes
0: and no. Yeah, I think that's the right answer. Yes and no. Um obviously if the H V A C is out on a building, the quicker the tenant can let me know, the quicker we can take care of that issue. And in the old days, it will have to wait until the Monday. You know, so I mean it but but it it's so I don't it's so confining. I mean I'll use that word again. It's so um have we come too easy have we become too easy to get a hold of? I mean isn't there some um, and there's some, I, I don't say liberation again. Isn't there some value to be a disconnected and not able to be found? I mean, isn't that kind of the reason some people go off to these far away places to just get away? How do you get so. away now? If you've got a cell phone, um, you, you, you really can truly can't. And but once again, I mean, imagine, imagine a former world, Uh, of Rev's mom. Let's use Rev's mom as an example. So Rev's on a cruise, and Rev's mom takes a turn for the worse, and nobody can let Rev know because he's on this cruise. Well, now people can let Rev know. Mm -hmm. Um, There's nothing he can do. He's on a boat, right? I mean, I guess he could, I don't want to charter a helicopter to come get him. And, you know, you see where I'm headed? I mean, the, the, the complications at times are necessary, but at other times are not necessary. But when the phone pinged, you know, Saturday afternoon, I'm like, wow, I don't want to check that, but it could be something I need to be concerned about. And that was not, I mean, it was somebody letting me know that 80 junior golfers are playing golf at Wellman Club this week in Lake, uh, in Jimmy and Johnsonville. And uh, <laughs> they would just let me know because they know that was a political issue, kind of a hot button political issue when, um, you know, when they were voting on the one penny tax, or I guess we were voting on the local option sales tax or the uh, the capital tax, and um, and Wellman and the golf course was a part of that um, proposal, and um, they were letting me know that you know the the course is being put to good use. There, there are a lot of being rounds being played. But my, my son uh, Brandon has played it twice. Really, mm-hmm. and says says is great. Okay, yeah. good deal. So the government, uh, Red, Red Sun's son's playing. So the the um, the conservative thinks the government should be in the <laughs> golf course didn't say building did, did, and maintenance did not make any commentary about and, that and i just and
2: i asked him how it was and I, I reminded him
0: of that story a little bit and he's like oh okay but he just went play golf yeah, he went to our golf course to play golf yeah. never imagining that taxpayer dollars were put to use them I and i'm not saying it's good or bad those are the things that we legitimately debate you know what we should or should not be but i was just thinking about the human condition i mean it's the human condition are we better or worse off being so accessible so connected um, I mean, obviously Monday through Friday, I get it, you know, um, I can't find the building I'm supposed to deliver this box to. I don't have to stop at a payphone. phone. I mean, there's all, there's enormous value to
2: being <laughs> connected. As, as a parent, I mean, we, we kind of joke about it and say, well, when we were growing up, you know, we were just told be home by whatever time. And then, you know, you're, you're expected to be home at that time, but your parents didn't have the connection to you or the ability to call your phone, see where you are, track you in a, in a lot of cases with these apps that t- allow tracking and family groups and everything. So so it was a whole different world then. And that part of it, I guess, giving parents peace of mind in a lot of cases yeah. is is better, right? Cuts both ways.
0: Yeah. I mean, it cuts both ways. It's not all good. It's not um, all bad. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Breeze is our first caller of the week. Good morning. Hey, hey
3: guys. Uh, this is Monday. I might ramble a little bit. But you know we could go into how bad our government. Yeah, look at all the people that, that I think, and I believe you probably were a Greek kid, that were all basically were murdered by our government and big pharmaceutical for a profit and have control over some COVID. There's no doubt about the people that died didn't have to die. It could all the covered up. The whole thing was corrupt. So let's all get on the moral high ground here. And then you look at all the other countries around the world were no better. So-called democracy. But my question is, and so they're not good guys. Now, we know Vladimir Putin is not a good guy. But there are a lot of other guys that are as bad or worse than them. The guy from China, would anybody say he's a good guy? Would anybody say that the president or the premier, whatever they call him, China has not killed people? I think we could go out on a limb and say he probably has, right? So why is it that everybody wants Putin out so bad and not necessarily the Chinese guy. Now, Donald Trump was a, is a nationalist. He's an American firster. The globalists, of course, hate that. Putin, of course, is a nationalist. He's a Russian firster. The globalists, of course, hate that. But why are they leaving China alone, other than the fact that I guess they own them? And I tell you, get back to what you've been saying for years, and I'm more and more convinced that uh, BlackRock. They are if you go to the top of their little tower, there's a big picture of Lucifer sitting right over the diagonal chairman's desk, I promise you that. Those guys are pure evil, man, and they've got more control over this world than anybody can ever imagine. But anyway, kids, I'm just wondering why Putin is everybody's number one bad guy now when there's so many other bad guys, including us. But of course, you know, why aren't they going after the Chinese guy? And what's your take on the quote-unquote
0: revolt over the over the weekend? Thank you, Breeze. Appreciate it. You know, it's interesting to me. So Saturday morning, the news breaks, and we have these mercenaries, this company, Wagner, I think is the name. I mean, if I'm not, miss some sort of, uh, I mean, it, it, they're, they're led by this, I mean, it, you know, he would be a brutal dictator. I mean, if this guy, and I, I'll butcher his word. You ready? I mean, his name, uh, what? what is it? Uh. Percosion. say it again. Percosion. Okay, Precosion I was gonna say the prejosion. is the um is the mercenary's leader's name. Um I mean he, you know, we hear they're on their way to Moscow and there's a coup underway and Putin's about to fall and and then he's off to Belarus. Right. <laughs> he makes <laughs> well, a deal never and he's mind. off to he's <laughs> off to Belarus. Um but but I went to my likely sources. I went to the National Review, the Wall Street Journal, C N B C, NBC, ABC, CBS. And it was the news, I mean, it was, it was astounding how much coverage these major news organizations were giving this story that most Americans aren't paying very close attention to. I mean, the Ukrainian, um, you know, the, the, the insurgents, the counterinsurgents of the Ukrainians is not going anywhere near as well as the Ukrainians thought it would go. I mean, the Russians are holding off a lot more. But, but, but I, l- l- let's stop there. Here's the point I want to make. There is a ever-growing segment of our population, and and I want to be careful here because I think uh, it sounds flippant when I say this, but could care less what's happening in Russia, could care less what's happening in Ukraine, could care less what's happening w- w- with a coup that may overthrow a, a brutal dictator. Because I mean, do, you, do, do really be, do we really believe it's a little bit like the Middle East? I mean, do we really believe that if America intervenes if America supports the Ukrainian Armed Forces and we defeat Putin I mean do we believe that the guy that taught Sunday School at the Christian Church in Moscow is the guy they're going to point leader of Russia no it'll be another brutal dictator I mean that's who the Russians are I'm sorry that's just who they are um, if you go to the Middle East I mean they're going to welcome and, and embrace democracy how did that work out and and, and once again I was debating some friends of mine who were very interested. And they would be neoconservatives. I mean, two are older than I. One's a bit younger. They, they, they're kind of status quo Republicans. And they were texting me Saturday morning, midday Saturday, about, you know, what is my take on what's happening in Russia. And once again, now the Wall Street Journal is consumed by this story. The National Review is consumed by this story. And, and, it, and it leads me to believe that Tucker's over the target. I mean, this is about the war machine. You know, we built an empire, and we behaved accordingly. I mean, linear graph, you ready? Early Monday morning, linear graph. America good, America bad. America has been good. I mean, by and large, America has been good, but I keep using the word angelic. We're not angelic. We built this empire. The empire is based upon a certain funding of our war machine. We're not in the notion uh, of exporting ideals and, and 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 principles and morals and ethics, we aren't. I mean, who are we to lecture to the world about morality and ethics and virtue when when we've got such a scandalous story now that the American media won't cover? I mean, really? I mean, we're, we're gonna we're gonna lecture to China and the Ukraine and the Russia and the Middle East about morality and ethics when, when when we've got an American president that that is being accused of some pretty significant. Um, you know, um, shenanigans and nobody in the American media wants to talk about it. But, but it was easy. I mean, it, it was interesting to me to watch the American political media, and I'm talking about the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Washington Post, um, ABC, CBS, NBC, uh, the, the Nash Review. I mean, it, 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 was, it was just 1,000% about Russia and this coup and this attempt to overthrow and these mercenaries and this company named Wagner and and when you read some of the comments, I mean, obviously there's still a neoconservative movement, I mean, um, element out there in uh, in that world. But it's generational. I mean, you don't tell the world a certain narrative for a generation and a half, maybe two generations, and just turn the water off in a nanosecond. I mean, that that not that happen. I, I got in a bit of a debate yesterday with um someone at the uh, Wall Street Journal. I mean, I, I talked a little bit about how it was amazing that the Wall Street Journal, I mean, the Wall Street Journal has reported about this much. I mean, you can't see my fingers, but they're real close together. The Wall Street Journal has decided over the last two weeks to report, I think once, about the Hunter Biden um, possible, you know, influencing Joe Biden, possibly selling access to the American government. I mean, those are accusations, but they're pretty profound accusations, and the Wall Street Journal has chosen to just, you know, not, not report it. I mean, the Washington Post did a little bit, the Times has had nothing to say about it. Um, CBS, ABC, NBC, CNN, give them a little credit. I mean, they had a story or two about it. Um, but but when, when, when trouble brews in, in Moscow, and, and and we have this uprising, these mercenaries have an uprising and it's reported to be somewhat of a coup. I mean, the, the American political, I mean, the media just, it, it, it's, it's consumed by this story. And it's just odd to me that the American political media would divert or, 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 or basically give all of its attention to what's happening in Moscow and very little attention to what's happening in Washington, D.C., our nation's capital. And, and I, I just think Tucker's all over it. This is, I mean, we built a war machine, and the war machine needs to be fed. And when something happens in Ukraine or China or, or the Middle East or, or, or Russia, it's going to be sensationalized. There's going to be hyperbole galore when some of these things happen. Why? Because there is money to be made. There are bills to be paid. Now, now the encouraging part of this is it seems to me more and more and more Americans are becoming less interested or concerned about what the military-industrial complex says we need to do in Russia, in Ukraine, in the Middle East, in some of these foreign lands and, and that, that, you know, but, but once again, these are generational dispositions I mean, these people that comment on the wall street journal to me, I mean, they, they chastised me. I may read them here in a second. Uh, I, I was a conspiracy theorist, you know, and, uh, cause I think I said something to the effect of, wow, I mean, the wall street journal shut everything down to cover this story. I mean, they're not talking about anything except this story when they hardly covered anything to do with, with a Hunter Biden laptop or the, the the possible connection or not to his father, um, Joe Biden, and some of the others. And I got to believe they're probably 60, uh, probably 70 year old white men who challenged my, you know, uh, ch- challenged my, uh, what am I trying? My, my, uh, just, he's one of these nuts. He's one of the conspiracy theorists. Go, 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 go to uh, QAnon or Breitbart or, uh, it's very insulting. Wow. You know what I mean? Just very insulting, and in, in the way they say it. And and I responded. So we trust the Russians. We trust the Ukrainians. So, so in other words, what he's saying is, you can't trust Breitbart. I mean, the Wall Street Journal does journalism. I mean, they they report the facts, the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. So help me God. But we trust the Russians. I mean, the majority of what we gather, the information and intelligence we've gathered is from Russians, Ukrainians, uh, Belarusians, you know, um, and it's just it's bizarre to me. But, but once again, if you've been conditioned, and I guess it goes back to the, I don't know, the, 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 the principal debate of it's easier to dupe someone than convince them they've been duped. And when I say that, I did it on purpose in my, in my group tags, you know, we build an empire and we act like it. I mean, what do you mean by that? I mean, we're Americans, right? Do you have your hand over your heart when you're saying that? I mean, do you serve the God? You see where I'm headed? We get—there's a certain segment of our pop, of our population that have bought this angelic America. And, and I think we're beginning to realize that, okay, I mean, net good, net bad, we're net good. Net good, net bad. We think China's net bad. Russia's net bad. But, but are we really—I mean, we have an empire— We have built an empire, and we're behaving as an empire behaves. You know what empires—I mean, they they act like they have a right to choose the leader of Russia or the leader of Ukraine or the leader of China. Why do we believe—why does America believe that they have any right at all to decide who leads Russia, who leads Ukraine, who leads China, who leads some of these Middle Eastern countries? I mean, that's, that's imperialism 101. Take a break back in a few it takes mondays to make fridays Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven is our number programming note we'll be here every day this week we don't know what sort of show we're going to do friday i know what i want to do but i try to be respectful of those who have to put it together so um we'll work on that as the week progresses yeah because you know
2: josh if it involves him he's got to work on best of shows sure, preparing sure. all those segments to run uh over the next week and by the way wah, wah. <laughs> and and you might <laughs> oh come on uh, you, you might even i don't know if you know this or not but we're going to start a saturday best of show uh, soon possibly this weekend where you can hear the i didn't know that yeah so that's something that we're uh, we're working on here so your saturday mornings will be able to be uh, filled with wake up carolina as well so for what it's worth there's a programming note we'll have more news on that uh, very very soon why are you mad at me Why why are you angry with me this morning why mad well I mean, <laughs> Well, because you're, it's okay. You've talked about this American decline
0: a lot, but I mean, you you are very being very critical of America a lot. Are am you I, not? But but yeah. But but am I wrong? I mean, it doesn't matter if I'm being critical, right? I mean, if I'm criticizing my kid, does it mean I don't love my kid anymore? I mean, is it is it healthier to criticize what deserves to be? Cr- Criticized, mm-hmm, or, or yeah. to turn a blind eye and just say, "Well, I mean, you know, uh, let me put my hand over my heart and say the Pledge of Allegiance, and maybe everything will be okay." Now, I, I just think that we are at a place in our existence, Ref. I believe the ideal of America is better than the ideal of Russia, that the ideal of the Middle East. I mean, I, I think those countries are, are are governed in a in a much different way than we should be governed but we do our ideals align with who we really are there's a good way to explain it I mean, are we really who we say we are we're a shining city on a hill are we i mean are we really I mean, the ideals and principles sure i mean I, i'll buy to that um the notion of america what what our founders intended us to be self. Uh, you know the greatest experiment in the history of mankind relating to self-government you know rev gets to decide Along with three hundred and thirty million Americans, who the President is, who the members of Congress are, um what what actions, yeah, but that 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 is a that is a unbelievably honorable and virtuous attitude. But have we abused that privilege?
2: Isn't it just a function over our current or about our current leadership now?
0: Well, I mean, I think it's a function of how many of these sorts of experiments last? I mean, empires don't last forever. and And I think that's where we made the fatal mistake is we, we've been slow to accept that we're not who we profess to be
2: and it was benjamin franklin who said what you have here is a republic it, if you're lucky enough
0: to yeah get it. And, and there were other founders who warned about foreign interventions and, and wars and uh you know we, we joke around with dr bold about what jefferson for you know jefferson believed you know the military <laughs> Um, should be, he believed the state. I mean, I understand things are different today than they were.
2: But if you have, what if you have more and more of the population that that doesn't really ascribe to the ideals that we're talking about I mean, of America? What I mean, do they? they? they try, I don't know. Do but they? It seems like. I mean,
0: fifty eight percent of Americans that vote Democrat believe that socialism is a better economic theory of which to govern than yeah, that's my than point. capitalism. Um, Do they not study history, but but we just bury our heads in the sand and we say, you know, oh say can you see by the dawn's early light? I pledge allegiance to the United States of America. I mean, is that? I mean, maybe that's who we are now. I mean, maybe we're that jingly, we're, we're that sound body. <laughs> you know. But but I'm not. I, I'm going to be very honest and candid and uh, and try to, I don't know, create or develop a conversation being critical of America. I mean, as I said in my text to my friends over the weekend. What we did was build an empire, and we're behaving as empires behave. I mean, why do we believe? Well, let me ask you a question. As a red-blooded American male, do you think we should decide who the leader of Russia gets to be? Who the leader of Kuwait gets to be? Who the leader of Israel I mean, didn't Obama go over and try to involve himself in that mm-hmm. election? Sure did. I mean, do you, do you really believe? I mean, they're talking about Russian collusion, the Russians trying to influence the election in America. I mean, how many elections do you honestly believe? And, and it goes back to the Springsteen song. Poor man want to be rich. Rich man want to be king. King ain't satisfied till he rules everything. We were a fledgling nation. We prospered. We benefited. Um, the, the 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 end of the Second World War... Has has led to American preeminence and dominance, right? I mean, did the victor go the spoils? I mean, we've talked a lot about that in the last six or eight months. That after the Second World War, America, by and large, got to tell people where to stand. I mean, the you know the the international money system. I mean, where, where's the United Nations located? Where's the IMF? I mean, you see where I'm headed? I mean, we and and I, but but I think the 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 most patriotic thing I can do every day is to be critical in, of America in places that I think we deserve to be criticized. And, and the natural reaction, and, and this is a generational realignment. I mean, it's not going to happen overnight. The, the natural reaction when we heard the story of Wagner and Putin and Belarus and mercenaries and, and a coup and all these other sorts of things, I, my natural reaction was, I don't care. I don't care what happens in in Moscow. I don't much care what happens in in Beijing. I mean, I accept that, that our, our our trade alliances and partnerships. I accept uh, accept some degree of global um, you know global safety and security and the global economy. I'm not naive to any of that. But but I, I just believe that if we lived by our ethics and our I morals, mean, but if we reestablish our ethics and morals, play, places around the world would take care of itself. But how does a nation I mean, let's use this as an example. The last two weeks have included a, a story. I mean, it's an accusation. We don't know if it's true or not. I tend to believe it is. Some don't. But but there have been multiple accusations about a the son of a president being corrupt and the son of the president funneling money to his father, who is the president, when he was a senator and vice president. Once again, I don't know that this accusation is true, but but you know, the American political media have decided to spend every ounce of energy. They have at their avail on what's happening in in Moscow and in Ukraine and in some of the you know in Beijing, but but we're not going to report on what may or may not have happened in our nation's capital. I mean, doesn't that speak to our moral and ethics? I'm mean, very judgmental about what needs to happen in Moscow, what needs to happen in Beijing, what needs to happen in some of these foreign lands, and and I, I just I'm beginning to sense, and, and this is part of the political realignment. When, when I was younger. If something like that happened in Russia, the majority of us Republicans who ascribe to the notions of neoconservatism would have been taken aback. I mean, we would have been all in. It would have been just like the comment section at the, the Wall Street Journal. But, but that's a generational—I mean, I, I don't know how many—I I have no idea what the subscriber base for the Wall Street Journal is, but it would be one of the, um, one of the leading publications that has supported neoconservatism for the last 40 or 50 years— Well, I got to believe when I put something on on the comment section that said, you know, how can the Wall Street Journal look itself in the eye or look, look itself in the mirror and say, you know, we paid no attention to the Hunter Biden, Joe Biden um, ongoing saga. And we don't know what the truth is. I didn't say we know for a fact that Hunter Biden did this. We know for a fact that Joe Biden did that. There are a lot of serious accusations and the Wall Street Journal chose to, you know, just not report. But the second there, there's some mercenaries in in Moscow. It's, I mean, it's the largest headline. I mean, you'd think it's Pearl Harbor again. And I just think that's the mind. I think that's, it's a generational mindset of, of people who work at the Wall Street Journal, people who have historically read the Wall Street Journal, and and people who are just reluctant to, to, to understand this political realignment that is going on right before our very eyes. And I think the realignment centers on we've got enough to say grace over in America. I mean, if, if we had our feces consolidated, I'd be real concerned about, you know, um, Beijing or Moscow in this is, instance. So it's interesting to me when, you know, when when somebody says, well, the Wall Street Journal reports on accurate stories. They don't report on on conspiracy theories or the nonsense. If you want to do that, go go to QAnon or Breitbart or, you know, uh, so, some of those fringy. So I mean, it's in, it's insulting. I mean, it's what it is. It's very insulting, and it goes back to the, uh, just to, you know, the, kind of the, um, the belief I have that it's easier to dupe someone than it is convince them they've been duped. I mean, it, it really and truly is. And it goes back to the COVID vaccine. You know, there are a lot of people, and this is probably generational, that there are a lot of people who, for the most part of their lives, have put some degree of faith in their government to shoot them straight. Should I get the vaccine or not? And you believe the government was going to give you an honest, just answer. And I think the number of people who fall in that category or camp are in dramatic decline, and the Wall Street Journal readership, the National Review readership, does not reflect what I think the true sentiment of the American people are. I think the American public today are very, very questioning of their government. And I think that's the only way we get better. I think that's the only way we get the uh, the train back on the track so to speak, is for the American public to have a high degree of suspicion as to whether their government's telling them the truth or not. See, see, we feel sorry for the Russians because they have to live with a government that doesn't shoot them straight. We feel sorry for the Chinese because they live with a government. You know how those totalitarian regimes are, right? (laughs) You know how those dictatorships are. You know, with the good old U.S. of A, if a president tells you something, it's the truth, right? If an attorney general tells you something, I mean, it's the truth, right? If an FBI director were to tell you that we thoroughly investigated this or that or the other, of course it's a good old I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America uh, and the rocket's red glare. I mean, but 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 Russia? Ru- I mean, really? Let's go to the phone. Joe in Hartsville. Good morning.
4: Yeah, good morning, guys. The, the problem is the United States has gone from a libertarian. Uh, You do you, I do me, and we're all a moral society, and the Constitution only works for a moral society. We have gone to a kleptocracy. I mean, we have a bunch of bureaucrats and and representatives that don't represent us. They've been against the middle class since probably right after the war because the middle class got too big. They they took our manufacturing jobs away and gave us service industry so that now we are 70% a service consumer and they keep us tied down with debt and, and trying to keep up with the Joneses. So until we get our moral fortitude back we're going to keep spiraling in this direction. I see where they just put a woman on the the federal bench that was totally against Dobbs. And Lisa Murkowski and Collins, two Republicans, were the only two that voted for her. So we, we've got no no representation that sticks together to represent we the people. And... I think until the American people stand up and say enough of this, we're 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 just gonna keep going downhill because we don't have two forms of justice. We've only got one form of justice and that's what they say it is. Y'all have a good day.
0: Thank you, Joe. Appreciate it. Eight four three six six one oh nine three seven. I just went to the Wall Street Journal. I'm not sure I was not mistaken. I mean, I showed Rev. It's mm-hmm. the. I mean, I've never seen. I mean, I've seen a headline this. I mean, a headline this big at 9/11. You know what I mean? Or one of these major, major moments. I mean, it's, to me, it's a pretty major moment when the son of an American president is being accused of accepting financial payments from foreign nationals, and there's a a, a fairly provable fact pattern that says the father may have. Benefited from some of the um, some of the commercial exchanges, but but here we go. Wagner revolt puts Putin in a weaker position. Most key players in country's worst political price, crisis in decades stay out of sight following mutiny. I mean, how many real American middle class workers today are affected or influenced by what happens in Russia? But I, mean, I don't think you can totally neglect it. But I, mean, I think there's a reason to be aware, and and, and I, I would be all for whatever sort of um, spies and coordinating we do in that world, but I mean, really, I mean, the Wall Street Journal chooses to not report at all the 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 the, the accused corruption of an American president, but we're just I mean, you're just overbearingly concerned about what happens in uh, in Ukraine and Russia and Belarus and uh, name your country overseas where we try to tell them what leader they can choose or not. Take a break back in a few. So during the break, Rev looks at me and says, yeah, but the people of Russia don't really believe they truly choose their leader. Right. I said, what do you think about the 2020 presidential (laughs) election, Rev? (laughs) Such a good comeback. Yeah. I mean, we're we're, right. Our our president is 82 or will be 82. He has dementia. He's never been the sharpest knife in the drawer. and, And we're accusing the Russians of choosing the wrong guy to lead their country. And we're not getting to. And we wonder whether they had a legitimate election or not. And this is, (laughs) you know, sitting beside me is the guy who says every day of his life, I don't trust what happened in twenty in twenty twenty. Good point. But it's those damn Russians. You got to (laughs) watch those Russians and those Belarusians and those Chinese. You know, we're we're the moral, ethical, virtuous Americans. Let's go to the phone, Larry in the PD. Good morning. Good morning. I think what
5: we're wrestling with, and I guess we got to leave a little bit of room for this, and, and. is the you know the moral decline and the change of the guard that goes on in a country over time? You and I were the beneficiaries of you know the Cold War. I mean, we were the beneficiaries of an education system that taught us that capitalism was great, that Republican uh, democracy was great, and that everything else was bad. We structured our lives that way. We've worked that way. We've We've pointed our ship in that direction and sailed under that wind. And then the question is, you know, now that it's changing, can can whatever we're changing to, can a post-Christian, post-modern, and heck, even at this point, maybe post-science and post-truth culture sustain itself under this American framework, or will it finally collapse under its own weight? And it remains to be seen, but if I'd have asked, you know, our parents— when stores started opening on Sunday, was that it? Was America done? They'd have said, probably, I think so. And I don't want to say that we're crying wolf necessarily, because at some point we will tip this thing over and it will tumble into something that we can't necessarily sustain. But is there room for some sort of revival? I think if if you look at, and I don't necessarily even mean a spiritual revival, just a, a a moral revival, a cultural revival of something that that maybe is a little more virtuous than where we seem to be headed now. I think America's shown that we're going to be a religious people. It's just a question of will our religion be any good, the religion of climate change and the religion of pride and LBGT positive or or whatever. You know, We're going to have a religion. It's going to have its rituals. It's going to have its high priests and priestesses. The question is, what will? I think this one will be short lived. The question is, what comes after it, and can it sustain this country, and can this country sustain itself any longer? I, I, it's good, a good question. But so far, the answer has been yes every time.
0: So and and, yes and, every and time. I hope it's yes again. Got to take a break, Larry. Appreciate that. Kind of a philosophical, um, you know, be think philosophical thought. I trust the framework. I mean, I think that's an interesting description Larry gave, the framework. I mean, I, I trust the framework of America. I mean, I, I really and truly do. But it requires uh, some work on our part. And I think we've worked against the framework and not in support of the framework. I mean, are we done forever? That's a fair debate. To make Friday's eight four three Got to admit, the first hour this morning was about as hard as any hour I've um navigated uh, <laughs> because I'm thinking about look. I, I mean, I, I don't mind working. I enjoy work. Got a good job. I uh, appreciate you folks out there allowing us to be a part of your morning. But when you know you've got some time off headed your way, it's <laughs> you, you begin looking forward to it, and you're, he's you're not like, saying you already checked well, out or anything no, like no, that. No, no, not at all. And we'll get better as the week progresses. But yeah, I mean, you know, Sunday night going to bed. Race started late. I stayed up a little later than normal. Um, get up early Monday morning. Yeah, I, I, first thing out of my mouth this morning. You do this week to get next week. So, so here we are. You know, one. are <laughs> so well, kind I mean, of talking yourself into sure, it. Sure, but I mean, one <laughs> week. Well, I mean, the, the hardest hour of talk radio is the first hour on a Monday morning because I've not True. been as involved in you know the political affairs of the nation as I normally am. Um, so, so six to seven every Monday morning is hard. <laughs> this one was just a little harder, a little harder than normal, and I told Rev we need to call her to kind of kickstart uh, some of the conversation. Breeze kind enough to call, and then Larry called, and I think one thing Larry said was interesting was his framework.
2: Yeah, and and his calls are always good and stimulate some thought. But and and I thought of when he was talking about this framework last week. You had a conversation about this this balance between capitalism and labor. I mean, that's a big part of a framework well, I mean, d- of, of the way the country works
0: in T- a capitalist society. Tucker argues, and I keep using Tucker because I think he's over the target. Tucker argues in his, uh, Tucker on Twitter last week, that it's all about the military-industrial complex. It's all about, you know, Trump being an anti-war president, uh, Trump not, you know, remember the time a drone got shot down and, you know, traditional Washington wanted Trump to do something in response. Iran, right? Yeah, and Trump said, man, I'm not getting people killed over a drone getting shot down. I mean, tr- Trump is a, um, I mean, he's an anti-war uh, president. I mean, he's moderately conservative. He's pro-business. He's a deregulator. Uh, there's been a lot of those. But he's not a neocon. I mean, he wants to build a big, strong military, and I think that's a little bit weird but I think that's some personality traits of him. I think Trump wants to be G.I. Joe with a Kung Fu grip. <laughs> um, he just, you know what I mean? He's um, He believes in peace through strength. I mean, sure, but, but he's, been, he's been privileged, his life. And I think Trump looks at the soldiers, the men and women who have served as somewhat heroic and something he'd probably be uh, a little bit nervous about being involved in. But I want to go back to the framework because I don't believe it's all about that. I do believe without question that that's a central issue because money's the answer. Now, what's the question? Well, if money's the answer and the military industrial complex is funded to the tune of about 900 billion, let's round off and say a trillion dollars every year. Let's say an American president said, uh, as part of his campaign, I want to cut military spending from 900 billion to 600 billion. Well, I mean, who hurts when 300 billion get cut out? I mean, is that enough to make us uh, the the preeminent global superpower, I think it is, but but it doesn't make you know the the collar counties of Washington five of the ten most affluent counties in in America. So I'll I mean I'll give Tucker credit. I mean I think he's over the target, but I think another driver of, of Trumpism, if you will, or this America first uh, political agenda, is the distortion and manipulation of capitalism. And I think I did a decent job last week. I, I believe that capitalism has to be mutually beneficial, and I'm talking about nationalistic capitalism. I'm, I'm talking about. I, here's what I think globalism did, and and here's what I think. Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm not. I think Tucker believes this, um, but 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 once again, Tucker grew up in uh, a very affluent part of the country. Went, to, you know what I mean? He's admitted that. I mean, Tucker is kind of a blue blood. I mean, he didn't struggle much um, growing up. But but I believe that. Capitalism relies on this mutual benefit, and I think the mutual benefit is from um, the worker, the the laborer, and capital. I mean, you you can't have one without the other. Um, you you got to have somebody making the goods and somebody financing the goods. I mean, I understand that you got capital and you've got labor. But what I think happened since NAFTA, TPP, GAT, some of the trade policies that distorted manipulated capitalism favored capital over labor to the point that it created labor arbitrage and that's when companies say hey you know i can't i can't make 20% margins building the widget in Peoria Illinois but i can if i go to malaysia or vietnam or india or china or some of these other countries that you know don't take human rights seriously uh, you know, talking about deregulation. Wow, you know, ten-year-olds um, working eighty hours a week in a sweatshop in in China, you know, making um, sneakers that Americans buy for one hundred twenty-five dollars a pair. So, so I believe, yeah, I do believe that the primary driver is the military-industrial complex, because I believe money's the answer. Now, what's the what's the uh, what's the question? But but I do believe that a, a lot of what happened in America in the framework. And and Larry's talking about the framework. So, and I think Larry's right to say that, you know, you and I, talking about us, collectively, we enjoy the benefits of a, um, a, you know, an American century. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Um, Warren Buffett famously said, you know, I'm a white male American, um, pretty good at math. I mean, if anybody should get rich in the world, it should be me. I mean, on average, white male Americans who are good in math probably had a distinct advantage over the rest of the world. But let's go back to the framework. So, so the framework's developed after the—I mean, the ideal's always been there. You know, all men are created equal and inalienable rights. I mean, that's always been the bedrock of our, of our nation. But, but we grew up in a post-Second World War America. I mean, you know, we, we were a—we um, uh, had it much easier than the rest of the world had it. I mean, you and I did, Rev. Um, we'd like to, you know, be full of ourselves and look at what we've done. Okay, I mean, we we've done pretty well, but we should have, in all honesty. But but I think when you look at the um the framework began changing, and NAFTA became rule or uh, law of the land. Um, TPP, GAD. I mean, a lot of trade policies. That that my two words are distort, manipulate. You know, we have capitalism. The, the economic theory that is capitalism, and then all of a sudden the government says the uh, you know the, the, the this conflict between labor and and finance, labor and capital, um, Wall Street and the big banks and financial institutions, you've heard me argue the financialization of the economy and and the majority of distortion and manipulation was at the expense of labor and advantaged capital, right? I mean, capital got more favorably treated with these distortions. And, and once again, it led to labor arbitrage. Well, labor arbitrage is, a, is, a, is kind of a fancy-schmancy way of saying people losing their jobs. You know, the the person, uh, you can't make the widget in Peoria as cheap as you can in China, so so you go to China. And the capital b- b- gets it even, you know, an, another leg up, so to speak. But that's, and, and, and you know, Where do we land now in this new framework? And I think I coined, I probably didn't coin the phrase, I don't know that I've heard this before, activist conservatism. I mean, J.D. Vance doesn't say that, but he says the same thing. I mean, Vance basically says, you know, what are people who profess to be conservatives going to do once we get control of the government? Now, now we don't have control of the government. we got one body of Congress or one branch of Congress. We've got the, um, you know, the House in our hands, uh, don't have the Senate, don't have the White House, but but what are Republicans going to do if they get control of both chambers and and the White House? I mean, are they going to be activist conservatives? Are they going? I'll tell you what: are, are they going to take away the advantages capital has over labor and some of these distortions and manipulations? I don't know. I mean, I don't know what that looks like, but but I do believe that that capital, the framework of capitalism, has to mutually benefit labor and capital, and when you distort one at the expense of the other to the point that I think we have, you have somewhat of a political revolution. You have a realignment. Maybe a revolution would be a kind of an overstatement, but you have a realignment. And the American working class, I mean, I find it very bizarre today that the Republican Party is the anti-war working-class political party today. I mean, the the um, the coastal elites have kind of taken over uh, some of the wokeness of the democrats the political correctness of the democrats you know so some of the um the cultural and and social issues in america today that we kind of um we're battling over but i still believe fundamentally when you look at trump's arrival and america first as a political ideology i mean if it is to sustain it has to consider the rebalancing of labor and 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 capital and if it's going to rebalance labor and capital, what does it have to do? It has to distort in favor. It has to manipulate at the expense of, in favor of labor, at the expense of of capital. And I'm not saying raise taxes. I'm not saying punish corporations. And, and you know, you, you, you put a podcast out last week, and you struggle with the title. Mm-hmm. You know, anti-corporatist. Is it time for Republicans to be anti-corporatist? I, I, I don't know. I mean, that's something I struggle with because uh, corporations aren't breaking the law and corporations employ a lot of people, pay a lot of taxes. Um, but they do have undue influence well, I mean, over policy. They've distorted and manipulated the undue influence. That's what I'm opposed to. I'm not opposed to corporations. I mean, if you're a capitalist, you'd be a moron to be opposed to corporations. I mean, once again, right. they employ a lot of people, pay they a lot do. of taxes. They do. But but have they been able to distort the, the, this mutually beneficial relationship in capitalism between labor and capital to the point that it needs to be adjusted, realigned. There, there we go with the word again, and I think so. I mean, I, and I really believe that. And I think if you talk to Republican, um, if, if if there are any, and there's a few. I mean, I, you know, I could give you a few names. Peter Thiel, J.D. Vance, Josh Hawley, Blake Masters, uh, to some degree— I mean, Trump and DeSantis, I mean, both of those guys have bought in. Trump's more of a, um, uh, Trump's still the, I mean, he, Trump's, Trump's problem. And it's not his problem because he's at 55% of the Republican primary. I mean, that's not a big problem. But, but it is transitioning from the bull in the china shop, the political wrecking ball, to somewhat of a political theorist. I mean, how many times I'd love to hear Trump, uh, I'd love to hear somebody say, Donald, do you believe that, Capitalism has to be mutually beneficial to capital and labor. Yes. Do you believe that Wall Street and the big banks and the financialization of the American economy have led to a clear advantage that capital has over labor and that led to labor arbitrage and jobs leaving over it? Yeah, I do. What What is your answer to that? I mean, what would you do? I mean, if you're elected president tomorrow, what would you do if you believe that needs kind of a recalibration. What would you do to try and level the playing field? Because you're distorting manip- and 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 the and the the what what the, the 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 fundamentalist capitalist, what the the dogmatic capitalist, they'll say, well, that's not government's role. What well, but the horse has left the station, the train has left the <laughs> barn. I mean that that's already happened. I mean that's we've already distorted and manipulated capitalism. We don't have. Ah, one hundred percent true capitalism anymore? That these these fundamentalists, you know, the the these dogmatic capitalists. I mean, they, you know, they'll say, "Well, we can't do that." I mean, you can't you can't try to level this, the scales up. I mean, that's just the animal spirits of capitalism are to prevail. And if and if um if the financial sector was more motivated than labor, then that's just the way it works. And if um if if politicians react to fundraising and and the donor class, that's just the way capitalism works. Well, I I go back to in theory. I mean, I'll agree with you in theory, but as a practical matter, it has to be mutually beneficial. The American people have to believe they're getting a fair shake. And right now, the American people, once again, forget the theory that we're talking about. We're talking about in practical fashion. Um, You know, right now, most Americans believe that Wall Street gets it too easy and the working class gets it too difficult. I mean, that's just the nature. And I don't think it's class warfare. I, I, ten years ago, Rev looks at me funny. I, I told him one day off the air, I said, we just started the radio show. He didn't know me that well, and he knew I was a conservative Republican or ran for office as a conservative Republican, and something came up about income inequality. And I told Rev, I said, Rev, the Republicans can sh- deny that, and they'll pay a price. I mean, you're going to have to accept that in every situation in human history where fewer and fewer fewer amass a larger and larger share of a nation's wealth, it just doesn't end well. I mean that doesn't make me a redistributionist. I mean that doesn't make me a collectivist, it doesn't make me a socialist. It it makes me somebody who believes that the government will, if given an opportunity, and enough the money's raised, they'll distort or manipulate the capital markets, they'll distort capitalism in general and and you, they'll do it to the favor of I mean, do we really believe that Wall Street, well, let's take gold, let's take Black Rock and Vanguard. I mean, we'll let like pick it on Black Rock and Vanguard. I mean, when when I read where the two or three of senior executive members of Black Rock went to work at the White House, I mean, do you believe they went there to make sure everybody in America got a fair shake? <laughs> I mean, do you really believe that they left corner offices at Black Rock to go to work at the White House? To make sure that everything was done above board. No I mean, of course not. I mean, absolutely. They have their interest. <laughs> their and they undue can defend influence. their Sure. But I mean, that's the undue influence that, that I'm talking about. So, you know, um, I mean, I think globalism accelerated a lot of this. And that's why I don't think I'm, I'm not a globalist. I mean, I am a nationalist. I, I don't make any bones about that. I'm unapologetically a nationalist. I am for a national model of capitalism. That, that allows for equal distortion and manipulation of capital and labor. And we've got to get there. I mean, obviously, I think the military-industrial complex is problematic. I think the, um, the defense budget of $900 billion a year and, and us not really knowing exactly where it's going, um, you know, so some of the generational uh, accepting that, that Americans have of the military-industrial complex, you just said strength through
2: Peace through strength. yeah
0: peace through strength i mean i you know th- those sound good on bumper stickers but but there's a lot of minutia there i mean th- there's a lot of um that there's a lot of I mean, it, it's just unbelievable amounts of money that, that's at risk here at stake here and i keep going back to five of the ten most affluent counties in america collar border our nation's capital i mean I, you know it should be silicon valley right i mean it should be manhattan it should be austin texas it should be some of these um, capitalism or laboratories of capitalism uh, that that America has, and we should all be uh, very proud and and supportive of that. But 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 I think at times theory runs into practicality. And, and you I mentioned
2: think- DeSantis a few minutes ago, and I'll say this: this is one thing I like about DeSantis is you, you talk about that that uh, description, the active conservatism. I think he's practiced that very well. I mean, he has been very
0: active as governor. Um, taking on Disney, for example, probably more on the cultural front, some of the culture wars than he has financially. It's going to be hard to tell people who give you money, no. But I mean, that's going to be real complicated, and the financialization of the economy was not happenstance. I mean, if capital's getting you know more fairly treated than labor, I mean, there's a reason that has happened. and And it's going to be hard to put that genie back in the bottle. It's going to be hard to get that uh, properly aligned again. But I think J.D. Vance and this political, excuse me, this activist conservatism, um, and I think income inequality. I mean, I think Republicans need, the America first Republicans, need to come up with some sort of uh, program or, or you know, a plan with America. We don't want, I mean, I, I, you don't want to stop banks from making money? I mean, nobody's out to to do the banks in, but but I do believe, and I keep going back to those two words, I, I think a a nationalist capitalism model has to mutually benefit capital and labor. And when you advantage or distort or manipulate in favor of capital, labor pays a price. And I think labor's paid too big a price in this framework. I'll go back to Larry's. This framework of American capitalism works best when it's mutually beneficial. 843 937 back in a few. If anybody's interested in some of these things we talk about, I mean, there's a website out there. I mean, I'll, I'll refer you to AmericanCompass.org. AmericanCompass.org. To me, I mean, they, they're the the think tank. Here I am with a think tank, another think tank. But they are the um ah they are the entity or apparatus that is trying to integrate some of America first into the policy making. Um, I told Rev to read this a second ago to restore an economic consensus that emphasizes the importance of family, community, and industry uh, to the nation's liberty and prosperity um, in that order. It sounds a bit hokey, but, but I don't think it's hokey at all. I mean, it's a um it's a a genuine belief that capitalism has to be policed and has to be monitored. Um you know, capitalism is a perfect economic theory for what with those damn capitalists. And um, the capitalists are the ones that, um, that get in the way. It's, it's um, you know, what, what we'll have to figure out is how do you implement, how do you develop and implement a conservative economic agenda that coordinates? I mean, how many of you out there listening to my voice have a blind faith in the free market? I mean, that's something you don't want to admit. But, I mean, how many, how many of you out there uh, have admit, would admit that over the years— you've you kind of not gotten lazy. I'm not trying to accuse anybody of getting lazy, but you've just become more accepting. And and you know, uh, this blind faith in capitalism. And I think the distortion and manipulation of capitalism I mean if 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 GDP is a finite number. And we've argued for 10 years that GDP is a finite number, um, and one gets a larger share of that finite a number then somebody's getting a smaller share right uh you know if um if capital and the the people in the capital business and I'm talking about you know banks and uh hedge funds and venture capitalists and uh vanguard and goldman and and Blackrock come to mind in particular um then somebody's getting a lesser share and do okay let let's ask this do we believe that capitalism has to be mutually beneficial. Uh, the ones who finance capitalism are the ones who produce in in capitalism. I mean, I personally think it does, but but I'm a nationalist. I mean, you know, globalism to me led to labor arbitrage. I mean, that's what what that's what propelled us down the road of allowing China to be a member of the World Trade Organization. I mean, if if, if America has all these these stances on China, they're they're an abuser of human rights. Um, it's a, a authoritarian re- regime. It's a, a dictatorship. I mean, they just, um, you know, I mean, there, there's a, I mean, we've got a list this long. But in 2001, a Republican president blessed their joining the World Trade Organization. I mean, that, if that doesn't prove to me, I mean, we knew they were a totalitarianism government. What We knew that, um, you know, whomever came before Xi or after Xi are going to be cut out of the same cloth. I mean, they, they ain't electing, right? I mean, they're, they're not going to elect some, um, you know, democracy-loving <laughs> neoliberal or uh, neoclassical liberal Jeffersonian. I mean, I'll assure you of that. Um, it will be very similar to how it's always um, been. But And we believed all those things about China, but we still allowed them to be in the World Trade Organization because, once again, the distortion and manipulation of capitalism made it better for capital or, or the crowd advocating for capital if China was become was to become uh, the world's manufacturing plant. But if you're interested in any of that, AmericanCompass.org would be... Um, I'd love to get Oren Cass on our show, told Rev during the break. He's executive director. There uh, you go, Josh making notes now. O-R-E-N <laughs> space C-A-S-S. C-A-S-S. Yeah, he's the executive director of uh, of American Compass. And it seems like a, I've, not, I've
2: not heard about this organization until recently. I don't know if they're new, but,
0: uh, I mean, what is their mission? 20, okay, so, so what is their mission? What, to, are, what are they t- to, to try and add the intellectual underpinning to the realignment? I mean, it, nobody believes, I mean, I, I say nobody. I don't know anybody that believes, including yourself. I don't know anybody that believes that Trump is the long-term answer. I mean, if Trump were a 40-year-old man... And was devoted to kind of the um, the 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 the, the walkishness it takes to execute an agenda to get. I mean, Trump's the. I mean, I think we all appreciate that about him. I mean, He says he's a bull in a china shop. I mean, he's the guy that knocks the door down and says, "Hey, you know, there's a new sheriff in town." I mean, he's fearless. And fearless. Yeah, out with the old, in with the new. But but if you ask Donald, okay, what's uh, I get out with the old, in with the new? What what is that? Donald will say. Well, I'll get back with it. I'll get back with you on that. I mean I think he has virtue. I think Donald has some sincere beliefs. I mean, I don't think there's any question about it. I think he's a deregulator. I think he's pro-business. I think he's fundamentally conservative. but but I don't think Trump's any ideologue by any stretch of the imagination. I don't think DeSantis is an ideologue. I, you know, it's hard to find Rand Paul would be somewhat of an ideologue. I mean, he'd be libertarian leaning um, Ted Cruz. ah. Uh, Cruise a little bit of a lot of different things, but but I think the American Compass or this, this group rev is trying to seize the opportunity. There is no way they could have done what Trump did. I mean, they, you know, Trump was the, the political unicorn, the political anomaly. He kicks the door down, out with the old in with the new. Okay, we're, we're getting, I mean, I believe this. I think we're beginning to out with the old. I think we're well on our way with that, but I don't think we have a clue in with the new i mean i think we've done a good job thus far we're a baby of a movement out with the gold trump gets elected in 16 nearly wins in 20 running again in 24 out with the old out with the gold out with the gold i mean i think we are heading in that direction and i think a lot of you know a lot of the old neocons i mean i think they see the writing on the wall i mean they know that this is a different era in american politics but in with a new, what, what does that mean? And I don't think you even trust Trump <laughs> to, to sit down and say, okay, let's think about this as a priority or that as a, as a priority. And when you read the mission statement of American Compass to restore an economic consensus that emphasizes the importance of family, community, and industry to the nation's liberty and prosperity. Now, now that's, that's a bumper sticker. It's much more complicated and, uh, and difficult than that, the one thing you've got to do is find out who's on your team. And and I've always believed that there will be a number of Democrats who find that interesting. I mean, how many really? Democrats believe that we've helped labor too much and not, and I'm not talking about organized labor. I mean, I, when we say labor in America, you hear unions and, and union bosses. I'm talking about uh, productive workers, people that go to work, whether it's a union plan or not, people who get up every day and go to work And help us make the widgets that American consumerism depends on. um, Those people feel like the American government has forsaken, you know, their advance, but their upward mobility, but because they're in bed with the big banks and Wall Street and hedge funds and, and all these other sorts of things. So, so if we could build some sort of um, new economic model that proportionally rewarded the the family, um, the community, I think there's a big part of that, Uh, the, the, you know, when an industry leaves a community, what happens to that community? I mean, it takes a big lick. It takes a big hit. And um, and I think trying to understand policy that considers all of those is a, I mean, it, it, it's going to be a very attractive and appealing political agenda if you could get enough elected officials to believe in it. Let's go to the phone. Dan in Georgia. Good morning. You're on the air. Good
6: morning, Ken, Rev been a long-time listener and I finally called in. Uh, I'm originally from Chicago metro area and I started listening to your show when I was doing some work up in uh, Dillon and I found you back online so I just want to say I really enjoy your show and you say a lot of things that I like to hear uh, because it's not uh, one-sided, it's analytical um, but you're, to answer your, or to give you some input, you, you're just talking if I understand right, you were saying, uh, do we feel out in the public that we have no, uh, we can't control, we, no recourse uh, over capitalism? And I was compelled to call and say, you know what, I just don't feel I can do anything about it. I understand and agree with uh, most of what you're saying, and, and, and it makes sense. You're bringing up all the things I always bring up, but, hell, you know, it, it's just there's so much politics, and it's always the money. But I just don't think I can do anything about it. And I'm uh, I'm 64 and a half. I'm I love to work. Um, I'm I travel for construction. So I was in Dillon. I was in uh, Charleston for four years, Texas for two years. I want no part of that uh, concert or um, liberal uh, democratic machine that is in larger cities.
0: Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. Very kind yep. of you Thank to you. find us and and stick with us um i mean a lot of people feel that way i feel that way i mean i know people so to speak that can move the meter a bit but it's a it's a big move i mean you're asking a lot and it really goes back to kind of america first in general let's let's if we believe and i'm talking about myself guys if i'm guilty of having this blind faith in the free markets and now I kind of look in the mirror and say, oh, you, you kind of took the bait, man." I mean, you can't have this blind faith in free markets because the blind faith in free markets is not really a free market, but rather a marketplace has been distorted by certain external forces. And those external external forces that have manipulated, distorted this free market requires you to um, kind of check your check your predispositions. In other words, once again. As a free market capitalist, I have this blind faith in believing that the markets will properly choose winners and losers. But but one day i wake up, and it happened to me when I got in politics. I mean, I have the luxury and misfortune of having served in elected office, local and, and state level, so I've seen the sausage made. I know who puts the pepper, and who puts the salt, and who puts whatever, you know, whatever you want to put in, in the, the sausage when it's being made. And that forced me to adjust it forced me to look in the mirror and say hey you know the guy that i see doesn't have the same faith in in the free markets i mean i'm a free market capitalist but i'm not going to ever have blind faith in in the free markets because you know governments are influenced by what by by donations i mean that's just where we are in america today it's it's i mean a lot of people say it's bribery bribery is illegal making political contributions is not but, but once you establish that that's what you believe, and that's me. I mean, I can't speak for you. You've got to say grace over whatever you're trying to say grace over. But I accept that I had this blind faith in the markets. I don't anymore. I know how hard people are working to distort and manipulate that market to their advantage. And I know how much of an advantage capital has over labor today in this nationalist um, capitalism that, that I want to see work for, you know, for the mutual benefit of all. I mean, I want to see capital be rewarded. I want to see labor be rewarded. I don't want to see labor arbitrage. I mean, that'd probably be the simplest way for me to say it. I don't want to see any more labor arbitrage. I want to see people, hardworking people in America, making a good living. Um, you know, not being taken care of. Nobody deserves to be taken care of, but I I want to, I want to, you know, a good paycheck, some benefits, some, uh, some health care. you know, i want the, I want the company to make a lot of money. It, 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 kind of a mutually beneficial um proposal. but but how do we get there? I mean that that's it, it's easy to identify a problem and but but it's it's a lot harder to say, okay, can j d. Vance do this? not by himself can can Josh Hawley can donald trump no and 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 I think we expect it to happen a lot quicker than is humanly possible. I mean, I think this is going to be, I mean I think the realignment is generational. I mean, it was generational in getting us here, right? I mean the framework that Larry talked about earlier this morning, for the most part, it served as well. But at some point in time, it became, I mean, we we always knew it was suspect to corruption. I mean, we we always knew there's a pretty good chance here that somebody will pay money to try and distort or manipulate my two words, the, the, this this free market that is the greatest man has ever known. Um, you know, poor man want to be rich. Rich man want to be king. King ain't satisfied till he rules everything. But I think the caller makes the most vow. what can I do? I mean, I think the most important thing you can do is be informed. If you're informed and in conversations with those who aren't, you can discuss these things and, and talk about these things. and And eventually, I think we can turn the ship around. I mean, I, I don't think it happens in an election cycle. I don't think it happens in two election cycles. I think it probably takes six, eight, maybe 10 election cycles to slowly, gradually, you know, um, replace one political ideology with a, a similar, but different one. Take a break back in just a few moments. Some folks will say, why is he talking policy? I mean, we're talking about capitalism, why, why is he talking policy? I just think that America first as a political ideology is going to be forced to consider activist conservatism. What is activist conservatism? It's policy. I mean, it's policy. J.D. Vance, what do we do when we get our hands on the lever of government? Do we do things to enhance the value of labor? I think we do. I mean, I've said before, one of my, you know, privatizing social security. Uh, allowing that to be a transferable asset, Um, exempting the first $50,000 of income. I mean, I think there are a lot of things we can do that empower the working class uh, and to some degree at the expense of, of capital allocation. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Dale in Florence. Good morning, Dale. You're on the air.
7: Hey guys. And can I agree with you? My problem is I got a couple of them. Number one is we saw what happened the last election cycle Republicans are not getting on board with uh, early voting and all of those things. And I understand that we don't like it. I don't like it. But, dang, do you like the Democrats winning everything? And then number two is uh, the the whole Democrat Party to me, and I've said it before, I'm going to say it again, they're just a bunch of victims with their hands out. I don't know how you turn that around at all. Because that's just pure human nature that half of the population want to want to live off the other half, and I don't know how to solve these problems, but I know they all work into us winning elections, and winning elections is the only way to change anything. You guys have a good day.
0: And and see, I believe that one of the great mistakes has—I mean—in in conservative circles, we have—I mean—economists have claimed to know what the people's interests are better than the people. I mean, as a policymaker, um, well, let's say this. I mean, the majority of people listening to my voice are working class, right? I mean, to different degrees of working class Americans. The majority of people listening to me right now are in the American working class. You, you may be at the high end of the working class, maybe at the low end of the working class. What do you wish policymakers understood about the challenges you deal with? the challenges your family deals with, the challenges your community deals with. And this goes back to the National Review-Wall Street Journal iteration of conservative politics. It got too think tankish, but it got too um, theoretical. Uh, an, econ- an economics professor says X or Y or Z. And when, when, we, when we trust economists to, to know the people's interests better than the people, it normally ends not so well. And I think that's where we are. So, so yeah, I mean, I, you know, I could ask our listeners today, what would you tell your policymaker to do in regards to how you live your life? I mean, you know, Rev talks about the, um, the Social Security issue. I mean, imagine if you knew that was a transferable asset. And if you'd paid in, you know, X number of dollars your employer and ma- your employer had matched, and you've got, you know, when whatever your age is, I mean, 70, 75, 80, 80, but whatever, you know, good job, work longer. Job sucks. You're not in good health. You have to quit earlier, but, but, but you're empowered with that. i mean to me that that would be the number one issue that I would address now, but you can't, you can't because they spent the money. I mean, it's a Ponzi scheme. They won't tell you that, but it's a, it's a Ponzi scheme. The only way they're able to honor the commitments that have already been made is for younger workers. I mean, the big struggle is the number of well, the number of Social Security recipients to the number of workers is is going to be very troubling. I mean, it's going to lead insolvency if we don't raise the uh, eligibility age. But that's in theory that that would be one of the empowerments of the American working class. How much better would you feel today if you knew at the end of a 30-year work life you had a million, a hundred thousand dollars? Sitting in a uh, in a four hundred one k or trust account or excuse me an IRA where you could transfer that ownership of that. I mean, it's not that the government you wait on the government to send you a check. I mean, they take money out of your check, the employer matches it, and then you cross your fingers that it's still there when you retire. But I mean, that's not there's no empowerment there, and I think it's intentional. I think it creates dependency on government. So so if Dave Baker works thirty years and at the end of thirty years he's got a million bucks. I mean, how much more empowered is he? How much more liberated? How much less dependent is he on government? I mean, I, that that would be one of the leading issues. I mean, if I were on a think tank, that, that, that would be the one thing I'd put on the table to begin with. And, and obviously, proper Washington or Washington proper would say, can't do that. Why? Because it would destroy the old model. Well, <laughs> you destroy the old model, not us. Please. Yeah, take a break. Back in a few. See, and this is when a lot of the Republicans will get confused because y- you got... I remember Elizabeth Warren's Stop Wall Street Looting Act. Uh, I mean, that was the name of it. And I mean, we're 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 preaching some of that same sermon. I mean, we really and truly are. We're, we're not talking about collectivism or redistribution, but we are talking about distortion and manipulation. Um, I'll give an example. It, it is. I mean, th- th- there's one issue out there that I want to get your take on this rev you'd be a um I mean you'd be a free market capitalist mm-hmm. but I think you've accepted I mean you kept kept over well, 10 years you've been in the political talk business so you accept that there are distortions and manipulations that cut both ways
2: no doubt um, about you it. win
0: some you lose some but what if in the event a company declared bankruptcy chapter 11 chapter um 7 and out of that, there was a reorg or a shutdown, you know, a liquidation in uh, a seven reorg and the other. What if there was a policy that allowed the former workers to be in line before the creditors? In other words, if, um, well, if for, for what, for the well, for I mean, pay they were owed, yeah, I mean, it, let's just say six months severance pay. I mean, I'm just making that number up. Oh, um in other words they be company, a little different than be, but, you know, back pay they were owed sure, for time sure. worked, obviously. But, okay, but a, a company that makes widgets in uh, you know in North Carolina declares bankruptcy. Not a reord, but a liquidation. Um they owe the bank uh, you know, fifty million dollars. I Some mean, of the company had big ambitious plans, didn't work out, widget was not well received. They owe the bank fifty million bucks, but before they bank, before they pay that bank fifty million, they've got three hundred twelve employees that they owe six months pay to. I mean, what what, what is your first glance mm. of that?
2: I, I mean, would I it, would say if it's if it's pay that's owed for time that w- had been worked, okay. then they should be top. okay. And uh, but if it's if it's an arbitrary number like six months in the future of severance, I don't know that I'd be. For that, okay. I mean, I, th- I but, think that's more. But those are
0: some of the debates that are being had yes. within this America First what are your policy world. I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I a bit of me says, well, I mean, better workers, you the company would have gone bankrupt. But you know, we're into this coin flip capitalism now. You know, and uh, I'm thinking about the companies. How many companies in America today have never shown a profit, but their stock is through the roof? <laughs> I mean, why is Tesla? I mean, the te- the, the market cap on Tesla. Is higher than Toyota. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. Nobody believes that makes any sense. I mean, I understand speculation. I understand, you know, you you buy cheap. You I mean, I, I get all that. I'm not naive to any of that. I'm just trying to generate a um, kind of a provocative conversation mm-hmm. about what should be or what should not be. I I, did, I just think to put that on the table it is a bit interesting. That that if a company declares Chapter Seven and there's a liquidation that follows. Before the banks get paid, the employees get three months, six months. I don't know what the number is. I mean, there's an arbitrary number. I mean, you're saying, I don't know if they should get anything. I'm not saying yay or nay. I'm just saying these are some of the pro-worker policies that are being bandied about in America First policy world. Now, Trump's not talking about this. DeSantis isn't talking about this. This would be the think tankish side of uh, of America First. If you're going to build a pro-worker, pro-family uh, pro-American way, party, an agenda, then what does that look like? I mean, I've got the bumper sticker down pat. I mean, I, you know, if you vote for me, I'll advance legislation that advantages the American worker, the American family, and the American way of life. A uh, round of applause. And, you know, uh, there are my yard signs. There are my bumper stickers. There's where you sign up to make a hmm, political contribution uh, to yours truly. But But then you've got this policy element about it. And the neocons have had policies for a long time. The liberals and redistributionists have had policies for a long time. Um, Elizabeth Warren Stop Wall Street Looting Act. I mean, that, that's kind of a weird name <laughs> for the policy, but um, but but isn't that kind of sort of what we're talking about? The distortion, the manipulation, the uh, your words not mine, the undue influence that Wall Street and big business, corporate America, has had on our um on our you know, our policy makers and, and how they advance policy and what gets out of a committee and what doesn't get out of a co- We've done a real good job of wearing the red baseball cap and pronouncing ourselves America firsters. I mean, there's no doubt about that. As bad as the Wall Street Journal hates to admit it and as upset as the National Review is, the, the Republican Party today is a shadow of its former self. I mean, it is uniquely different today than it is has been in my lifetime i mean i don't remember a pro worker uh you know anti-corporate republican party but it's kind of where we are today so so once again bumper sticker red baseball cap you know the candidates better be in line with this agenda what's the agenda what's the policy i mean if you're an america first republican what are you voting for i mean i get it's anti-intervention it's anti-globalism but what are you for? You're voting against a lot of things. You're voting against globalism. You're voting against interventionism. You're voting against to some degree, not everybody, but a lot of America firsters are voting against a trillion dollar defense budget. But what are you voting for? I mean, what are the policy initiatives that you'd like to see a J.D. Vance? member of the U.S. Senate who has proclaimed and professed themselves uh, to be you know, an activist conservative. I'm willing to do it is what J.D. Vance says. I'm willing to be as active and and, and, then, you know, distorting and manipulating as the Democrats have, or for that matter, the neocons have. And, you know, I don't know that the Democrats, I don't keep up with the Democrat Party enough to know what sort of internal squabble they're having. But the Republicans are having a ginormous, a ginormous internal struggle about the policy initiatives and priorities of one as opposed to the other. Now, Now, once again, what what I'll call the traditional establishment neoconservative Republican, they know what they stand for. I mean, I'm not saying it's monolith, but but I mean that they know what they stand for. I mean it's kind of a globalist interventionist all in the name of making the world and America a better place. And and you've got these, you know, and a lot of people have broken away from that orthodoxy and they know what they don't believe in. They, they, they don't believe in all this intervention. They don't believe in all this, cap, or all this globalism, but what do they believe in? What sort of policies are, are going to be initiated out of? I mean, you've got to have some intellectual underpinning, right? I mean, is that kind of what we've always said? And, and I mean, in, in all fairness, Trump's not going to provide that, 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 you know, policy doctrine or intellectual underpinning that is needed to sustain a political movement. Let's go to the phone. Jim in
2: Sumter, listening to WDXY. Good morning, Jim. Good morning,
8: uh, Rev. Ken, uh, I think what you're saying, simplified, Main Street, not Wall Street. And I think back as as a longtime activist, do you remember Occupy Wall Street? I do. Now, of course, they were, you know, slandered in the media, all these crazy young college kids, what are they talking about? I think it's more relevant today than it ever has been. And when we see things like um, James O'Keefe with his undercover video of the BlackRock employee, we buy politicians, we own the world, we control them no matter who you vote for. I think that goes right to the heart of the problem. So what, what is the solution? Does main street form their own super PAC? I don't think that that's even possible when you're competing with $20 trillion worth of assets from BlackRock and all the other bank, you know, international bankers, we really have to consider how do we influence a system that is completely based on campaign finance and leverage? Because when you finance, um, you know, your your local senator and they're beholden to those international bankers, what say have we? I'll take the answer off the air.
0: See, and I don't have the answer. I mean, I know exactly what you're saying. I don't have uh, the answer to that. Uh, Public financing of campaigns? I mean, are, are conservative Republicans going to consider a day that we support? The private financing of campaigns, I think Jeff and I agreed last week on one thing citizens united from a legal perspective was rightfully decided I mean I understand exactly what roberts i mean he, he wrote the majority opinion and you know I mean he, corporations are i mean I, I get the, the the first amendment right that corporations have to express themselves in the in the way of political contributions but but once again is that good for America? Is that good for, for the body politic? Of course not. I mean, nobody believes that a company that has the ability to donate, let, let's say, $25 million. I mean, nobody believes that that's good, and they don't have to sign their name. They don't have to say, you know, um, this is Dave Baker, and I approve this message. I mean, it, 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 it dirtied up that world, and, and, and the day they did it, having run for office before, and understanding how important money is, to who gets elected and who does not and how money can distort and manipulate those are our words today um wow i, I just cringed with that decision and you, you knew i mean as a constitutionalist I mean, they had to do that i mean they had to go there but it's almost like let, let's make an exemption for the american elections let's i mean you know that's that's um i mean that's democracy on sale right I mean, can we agree to that? Mm-hmm. I mean that that's you know I mean I, i'm I'm not saying I'm selling my vote, but the candidate with the most money, the candidate that is best funded, uh forget the ideas and and, and principles and policies that we're talking about here um I, I don't know the answer to that. Guys, I've said it a hundred times and I and I'll say it again. I've heard people who make a lot more money than I with a large larger audience than I eat their words, consistently eat their words. I ain't going to be that guy. I mean, I, I'll be wrong on occasion, and I know I am. I mean, there, there, there are several times during this show's existence, and in retrospect, I, I had it wrong. But I'm not going to say things every day that I regret just for the, uh, the, the gratification, the instant gratification of you loving me for that moment. I mean, I'm just not going down that road. And I, I text Rev, Saturday, uh, a particular <laughs> personality is wrong all the time but he tells people what they want to hear. Um, I was thinking about, like, I'll give you a pro-Wall Street policy, talking about Wall Street or Occupy Wall Street. We all agree that risk and leverage is a part of the economy, right? I mean, risk-taking and, and, and accepting leverage. I mean, that's borrowing money. I mean, that, that, that's part of the economy. But what happened in 2008? I mean, these businesses took a lot of risk. They they assumed enormous leverage and they were bailed out. I mean, where, where's the moral hazard there? You, you got to make risk taking and leverage or accepting leverage or you know um, borrowing money, going into debt. That there's got to be a it's got to be kind of an offset. It's got to be here, here's the upside, here's the downside. Well, I mean, see, I believe that Wall Street knew how beholden government was to it, and I think Wall Street knew that when they bundled these mortgages and came up with these synthetic derivatives and these these crazy ways. Uh, bundling mortgages and, I mean, I, uh, credit swaps. I mean, <laughs> the, the, the craziness within the housing sector in relationship to Wall Street, I believe that there were several conversations uh, amongst, you know, uh, the, the Lord Finds and Jamie Diamonds of the world that they knew that if it ever blows up, they can't let us go under. I mean, there's no way. So risk-taking and leverage had only one, Side right, I mean they had the. we too upside. big to
2: fail. Didn't well, I mean, we hear that?
0: Well, I mean, but but I, I just not only that, ref. I think they, they knew. I mean, I, I just there was no doubt in their mind that if this risk taking and leverage ever blows up, they can't let us go under. <laughs> and That's not really risk taking. No, is it? There, there's no risk taking to that. There's no leverage um, to that. Uh, why not take enormous risk? Why, why not leverage as much as you possibly can if the government has your back and you know. They have your back and i mean what what, a a year after the bailouts there were helicopters in the hamptons you know once again and and i just think we've built a kind of an economic model and i'm you know occupy wall street um stop wall street i mean it's not all about wall street i mean it's the financialization of the economy and you know we've talked extensively about you know what that means and how that distorts (laughs) once i keep going to that word um distort but that's what the, the government has done um, to the economy, eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. Let's take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. Bill, this political agenda right here on Wake Up Carolina. We talked about this week possibly being a slow week. I mean, we're thinking about vacation. Rev's going on a big cruise with all the rich and famous. Um, Josh, has to work, but that's what young guys have to do when old bucks get a few days off. Um, I mean, we could build the uh, we could build the platform here and and think about what the American worker. I mean, we've established that, no, we've not established anything. We've argued and tried to articulate that we believe the American worker has been a victim of labor arbitrage. The distortion and manipulation allowing capital to have an advantage over labor. I mean, there's got to be a mutual benefit, one of another. Capital has to be a part of the equation, no doubt about it. Labor has to be a part of the equation, no doubt about it. Um, that's the American worker dynamic. So go to the American family. Why, why does that matter? What institution has served humanity and civilization any better than the family? I mean, the family unit, when you really think about it, the family unit is the institution that has led, um, the world that down a path of betterment and prosperity. And we're seeing, um, ca- kind of a collapse of the family in America, um, In the 1960s, I think 67 or 8, the country had about 160 million, maybe 175 million people. 3.1 million babies were born to married parents. Hold on to that for a second. So mid-60s, might have been 68. 3.1, you got a nation of 175 million people, 3.1 million babies born to married parents. Today, you got about 330 million babies. And 2.1 million babies born uh, to married parents. There's a collapse. I mean, there, there's a dramatic collapse of the uh, of the family in America. And I mean, I think policy is a big part of that. Uh, people are waiting longer to get married. They aren't getting married. Uh, they're not having kids as fast as we need uh, people to have kids. The um, the replenishment rate in America. Um, I mean, you got you know uh, what did I 70 74 percent of uh, African-American babies born today are born to single parents um, I mean do we believe so, so I think the policy obviously two plus two equals four I mean I get that so, so the American worker I mean that's about labor and productivity and what sort of policies can we initiate that would advantage and empower the American working class secondly the American family I mean that's 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 a little more vague I mean it's it's ambiguous what do you mean the American family my family's fine it's that family across the street. You better keep your eye on. Um, but but I, just the number, I mean, once again, in 2020, 2.1 million babies were born uh, to married parents. In the 1960s, with a nation, what, 150 million fewer, 3.1 million babies were born uh, into in married families. That That's a big deal. And, um, you know, supporting a family, has become financially difficult. Um, why are uh, more and more families required to have two parents working? Um, you know, consumerism. Uh, what What is the cost of goods and inflation and all these other um, sorts of things? I don't know how uh, a young family makes it with just one working. I mean, I don't. I mean, I, I think I understand what it costs to live, you know, housing. Uh, remember last week we talked a little bit about in the 1970s, might have been the early 80s. It was in Reagan's term. Um, I've been before Carter. It was before Carter, and inflation went crazy. Um, but you know, housing—the housing essentials, the essentials a family needs—was about 32 weeks in a year. Today, it's 60 weeks. Big problem when there ain't but 52 weeks in a in a, <laughs> math in a year. Does not work. Yeah. So so um you know um it's entiring more or it's, it's um it's in it's, it's the share of income required to just, just live essentially a, you know, a middle-class life it's, it's outpacing what, what income is. So, so, you know, the, I think the American family leads to the American way of life, but, but, but once again, I, you know, would, when you start talking about what, what sort of, what do you mean? Policy that advantages the the American family? I I think we got to get there. I mean, I think we got to begin building uh, a system of government, that rewards people for getting married and rewards people for having, for having kids. And and I think right now we probably de-incentivize. Uh, I think Mike Rickenbaugh touched on it several weeks back about, you know, talking to young African-American females about not having kids and they would respond by saying, but if I have a kid, I get more money. And if I have another kid, I get even more money. I mean, nobody likes to say that. I mean, it's insulting. It's demeaning. It's uh, it's embarrassing that that's, Uh, where we've allowed ourselves to get but but i think not only empowering the american worker but but i think empowering the american family and and that's a i mean that's a precipitous decline rev i mean you kind of look to be like there's no way that's true but i mean yeah in the 60s we had about 175 million people 3.1 million kids babies were born to married parents today 330 million people and only 2.1 million babies were born um to married parents, do we not believe that there's a societal price to pay for that? I mean, do we I mean if if the if the if the if the institution of marriage has historically been almost indispensable and and we're seeing such a breakdown of the traditional marriage do we really believe that we can skate scot free and there be no consequence or repercussions uh, for that uh we're producing the next generation um we're producing that next generation outside of the nuclear family. There, there's going to be a cost to be paid for that. And then you add the government dependency on that. Sure, yeah. We're um, setting up the next generation. We're, we're incentivizing people to not get married, and we're incentivizing people to not have children. So, so, so why not come up with economic policies that, that empower people to get married, that, that encourage people to have kids in that nuclear structure? Let's go to the phone.
2: Ashley in Poston's Corner. Good morning. You're on the air.
9: Hey, good morning, fellas. Um, Ken, I tried my whole – I know Ken. He's the mayor of Polly's Island at another restaurant down there. They still didn't take it. I'm going to have to get you to talk with them or something. I, I don't
0: know. Well, I, I um, got I a got full disclosure. You ready? The population yeah. – I mean, I was in good standing as long as Polly's Island had more Southerners <laughs> than Northern Aggressors. Right, here we go. But it's official now. Um I mean, they laugh at NASCAR. They laugh at the SEC. It's IndyCar racing, ice hockey, uh, per, uh Pericomo concerts, and all that, <laughs> all that good stuff. But yeah, they've um, they've taken our coastline from us, actually. <clears throat> well, you were
9: talking earlier about a pro policy that we could do as America Firsters, uh, and, and this is a con and a pro. This will be both a pro policy to be extremely. I mean, hard-hitting on businesses that hire on their table illegal immigrants. I think if you did that, I mean, very punitive, if you did that, wages would go up. Maybe you wouldn't have to have that dad and that mom working. Not only that, I think people would be willing to do some of those jobs if the wages went up. Now, would things cost a little more? For sure they would groceries, construction, et cetera. But if you balance out what has been eaten away at the blue-collar worker for uh, 30 years, I think if you get that balance in there, not only will you not have a problem with immigration because they won't be able to work because a business can't afford to hire them, but they'll also see wage growth.
0: That's interesting. Thank you for the call, Ashley. Appreciate it. You know, as much as I don't give Mitt Romney credit, I mean Romney came up with what the the family Security Act and I mean I, I've read it, but it it's 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 a bit long-winded, but it gets there I mean it gets the ball rolling down the um the road of uh, I just think that policy today I mean at its core, I think we can all agree that we our policy rewards people for not getting married i mean i get child credits and but i mean it's, it's rewarding people for not getting married i mean having the kids is a different story and i don't know how many i don't know who out there believes that that america is better if fewer people are getting married and fewer kids are born and, and father you know wife relationships uh you know m- maybe I, I i'm not old-fashioned maybe that's one place i am old-fashioned i just think the institution of marriage is indispensable and i think it is so critical to our prosperity, our well-being, our human advancement, our understanding of where we're trying to go, and um, I mean, not only we're we not getting married, we're we're you know what does a marriage mean anymore? You know, it's a it's a woman and a man, it's a man and a man, it's a woman and a woman, it's a a woman and three men, it's three men and a woman, it's uh you know th- th- this very floating meaning, uh you know the slippery slope. How many times have we gone gone down that that road? But I I just think family benefit policy that benefits the family Ashley's in, I mean it got kind of some interesting takes there um there are a lot of other discussion points but but uh you know Mitt Romney as critical as I am of Romney of being such a toast Republican and an establishment country club Republican his family security act well, I, if I'm not mistaken if you had a kid I mean if you were married had a kid you got like four hundred dollars a month in child credits if you had another kid, you got another three hundred dollars a month in child credit. Uh, I mean, it, it it offset a lot of your income. I mean, the, in, the you know the taxes you would owe on on eventual income. I mean, it was a, a very I mean, it was an aggressive neutralizer of of what. And I think those are the sorts of things that need to be on the table as we pursue an America First agenda. If America First is going to be pro worker, I mean, we talked a little bit of, you know kind of the distortion and manipulation. And it's going to be pro-family, and I think pro-family is probably more important than pro-worker. I mean, I really believe that. I mean, I think hard work is an important element uh, of America. I think you know, you blazing your own trail, you you making your own way, you're picking yourself up by your bootstraps. But but the the institution of marriage has served humanity exceedingly well, and we've watered it down. Uh, we've made it mean a lot of things to a lot of different people and a lot of different arrangements and sorts. And and I just think that we will, it's hard for me to believe, Reb, that that Americans believe we can go down the road of gender dysphoria and same-sex marriage and, you know, the Wall Streeters making billions and the working class struggling to get by and and remain great. I mean, it's, it's almost like some believe it's a birthright. Doesn't matter what we do with marriage. Doesn't matter what we do with, with capitalism. Doesn't matter what we do with global. I mean, we're meant to be great. We're not guaranteed a damn thing. I can assure you of that. And if we keep screwing up policy wise, uh, you know, with, 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 with not considering the American worker, not considering the American family, not considering. Uh, the American way of life, then, then, then we'll 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 meet our demise. I mean, there, there's no doubt about it. Forget the debt. I mean, I didn't got, you know, $33 trillion in federal debt, insolvency of Social Security, insolvency of Medicare, uh, the expansion of Medicaid. Uh, where does the money come from to meet all those obligations and responsibilities? I mean, we're talking about, I mean, th- th- these are the minor issues. I mean, I'm not talking about the debt. I mean, you know, the, I believe eventually the debt will lead to our demise. But I'm talking about things we could address. I mean, you know, nobody wants to mess with with Medicare. I mean, nobody wants to touch Social Security. Okay, fair enough. Now let's keep running the tab. Uh, One day when when the dollar, you know, when people say, I don't trust the dollar to be the value of the preference uh, any longer in the world, then we'll get what we deserve. But these are things we can work on today. I mean, we can develop pro-family policy, pro-worker policy. I mean, we could do that right now. I mean, that's activist conservatism. In my, I mean, how many people are really thinking about it? how many people in Washington today are sitting down with staff saying, Hey, you know, talk to Senator such and such or house member, Congressman, such and such. See if they've got a few moments to sit down and, um, and talk about pro-family policy or a pro-worker policy. Uh, you know, the debt's the big albatross around our neck and it'll eventually lead to our demise, but these are, these are things that we could work on. I mean, we, we could, I mean, you know. Are there bigger fish to fry? You tell me. What's more important in American culture and society than the establishment of a family and the preservation of a family? I think it's indispensable. Take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. This is something I wish we did more of, and we don't and won't. So, you know, it's wishful thinking. is all <laughs> it is. But in the, in this Romney plan, this Family Security Act, um, the child benefit tax credit costs the government about $117 billion a year. Um, I mean that's what they would be getting had not, you know, issued the tax credit. The um the employer, excuse me, the um the earned income tax credit cost the government about seventy one billion. So it's 180 it's 188 billion. This is in 2022, Um the Romney proposal would cost the government about two hundred fifty four billion. The uh, the child tax credit goes from one hundred seventeen to two twenty nine, but that's good for the American family, right? The, um, the earned income tax credit goes from $71 billion uh, to $24.5 billion. So the annual total cost of the government goes from $188 to $254 billion. But, I mean, Romney lists the offsets. Eliminate head of household status. Eliminate child and dependent care credit. Eliminate uh, TANF. And eliminate um, some of the SNAP categorical eligibility changes. And then he wants to eliminate some of the SALT deductions at about 25 uh, you know, that saves 66 billion, so he says. I mean, that's, I mean, that's wonkish. I mean, I understand that, but it does, I mean, it makes investments in the family. And, and Josh was talking about, Josh, you're a young buck. Why, why are you so supportive of making investments into the family? Well, I
2: think, you know, um, I'm I'm more concerned about these sort of social issues more than the economic issues we discuss on the show. But, but there's
0: that's... an economic reality to the family. You would agree to that.
2: Exactly. And I think that the economic issues will kind of fix themselves once the social issues are fixed. So I think that part of what made America great in the first place is its core values and the values it was based off of when it was founded. And over time, we've seen those values kind of degrade and kind of fade away into other things. And look what's happening. Things are getting worse. The economic is, you know, the economics of it is just a part of it.
0: Is there an economic motivation for someone to get married? I mean, if could, could the government, in other words, if you're living together and the government could create some sort of economic advantage for you to get married, is there a number, I mean, is it $100 a week? Is it $200 a month? Is it $1,000 a year? I mean, is there a number out there? That someone would say to themselves, "Wow, I mean, it's worth it to get married." Because right now, I mean, I think we can agree we're incentivizing people to not get married. I mean, that's pretty easy to distinguish. Now, I'm you know that there's a morality issue there, there's a cultural issue there, there's a um a societal issue there. But but that you know, there's no doubt the current model rewards people financially to not get married. I mean, that there's no disputing that. And as important as the family historically has been, I mean, the word I used was indispensable. I mean, I think it is the most precious institution in society. I really believe that. I mean, I think it's more important than marriage. I mean, I think the family unit, when a, when a husband and wife get married, that's one thing. When a husband and wife have a kid, I mean, that's a whole nother thing. I mean, do you know how you felt when you got married, right? How did you feel when you had that first kid? I mean, that's a different animal. Uh, that, that's just something that stirs your soul. I mean, your your wife and husband. I mean, they stir your soul. You hope, um, you know. Th- th- there's some. Uh, you see where I'm headed. I mean, th- mm-hmm. th- there's there's some. Uh, what am I trying to say here? Th- there's a. Um, I mean, it's a. Pop- it's, it's next level. Sure. I mean, it, it is. It's it's very much so. I mean, it's um. There's a sincerity and bond and 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 friendship and, and when love a husband of, and wife go through that as a couple and have that child it it is next it, it enhances the bond yes but exactly. I mean, it just i mean it solidifies everything that you stand for and believe in uh, you you love your wife you love the mother of your kid more than you love your wife you love your husband you love the father of your child more than you love your husband and you can't explain it until you do it i mean you really and truly can't you get married you love one another. You have a kid you really love one another then because she's the mother of your child how many times have you heard it you know my wife's a son of a gun and we got divorced but she's still the mother of my kids and i don't want to have a problem with the mother of my i don't care much for my (laughs) ex-wife but i try to be civil to the mother of of my kids i mean there's there's a unique bond there and uh it's it's i mean it's it's indispensable i mean i keep going back uh to that word but but right now in society and i don't know how we got off here on a monday morning um the the policy initiatives that, that that I think would explain America first in a better way. Because if you on a bumper sticker say, you know, I'm going to advance the American worker, the American family, the American way of life, and someone says, How I mean, what do you say? I'm gonna wear this red baseball cap, you know, and I'm I'm gonna be on the team and I'm gonna do, you know, what what J D Vance does. No, I mean I think we gotta have some policy initiatives and that's the hard work. I mean, that's really where people lose interest in this. I like the rallies. You know, I, I like the pomp and circumstance. But sitting in a room for eight hours with, you know, um, staff and lawyers advancing legislation, we've heard Jay and Philip and Mike on occasion say, we think this meets the smell test of the lawyers. You know, that, that's, that's the hard, diligent, boring work that, uh, that most people just absolutely don't want to do. But it's required. Uh, it's required to get the country uh, to a better place because at the end of the day, you're a lawmaker, you're a policymaker. I mean, we're a nation of laws. Policy becomes law. You know, law is enforced by uh, government agencies and, you know, people abide and obey by those laws by and large. I mean, not all laws and not all people, but um, but I think, you know, the um the enhancing of the American family, the reinforcement of the American family, Is something that could serve us well. And I'm telling you guys, this, I mean, the America First movement ain't going away. I mean, whether Trump wins in 2024, whether DeSantis wins in 2028, uh, whether JD Vance gets beat in Ohio, I mean, we have established a belief and it's a large audience. It's a big group of people that have said, no, thank you to neoconservatism. No, thank you to globalism. No, thank you to interventionism. Um, I don't really know where I want to go from here, but I know I'm not happy there. And as hard as the Wall Street Journal's tried, as hard as the New York Times and, and Washington Post and CBS and ABC and NBC and even the National Review have tried to convince you that this is, you know, that this is where the party is, where it always has been. I mean, this is a second, post-second World War Republican Party. And who do you think you are to try and disrupt that political and social and cultural arrangement. No, I think we're headed off into a different direction. It may be the abyss, but it may be the political abyss. And it's likely if there aren't policy initiatives and a clear understanding of what it means to say, I'm for the American worker, I'm for the American family, I'm for the American way of life, it is more likely that you drift off into the abyss than if you have, you know, some, some decent understanding of policy. Back in a few. Mondays to make Fridays, 843 On a Monday morning, it's hard to get philosophical, but we've tried to do that um, this morning. I want to go back a half-step, and then we'll get to our call. So you've got a governing theory. I've got a governing theory. You've got a role that you think government should play. I've got a role that I think government should play. I think we can all agree. I think Jeff would agree with this, I think. Uh, will it, uh, Williams. Williams would agree with this. I'm thinking about some of the antagonists that I have <laughs> on this show, and, and I love them. I mean, I mean that sincerely. I love when they, when they call and challenge things that we say and believe in. And that's kind of the American way. I mean, they, they're certainly entitled to call in and express themselves how they see fit. Uh, sometimes I push back more aggressively than other times, but I think we can all agree, conservative, liberal, Jeffersonian, Hamiltonian, um, that the majority of us, wake up every day trying to advance our self-interest we legitimize it i mean we we do rev says i mean i had to do that you know i say i had to do that i need to do this but but i think the majority of our lives are spent in advancing our self-interest i think at times we question whether indeed this is best or not but 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 our self-interest is and we're talking about our family I mean, you know, when I wake up every day, I don't think about just me. I think about me and the people that depend on me. Uh, my, my two grown boys don't really, but I'm still their father. I mean, there's still some some guardian capacity that I have there. My daughter is um, about to go off on her own. But but I still, I mean, when when, when I think of my self-interest, I'm thinking of theirs. It, it's not just Ken. It's Ken and Tammy and Jesse and Mason and Libby and, and what is at our best interest. And I'm obligated to try and secure and work toward a better future for all of us. So so I don't you know, liberal conservative, uh, you know, uh, somebody who believes the founders of the greatest things to slice bread, or somebody who thinks they're a bunch of slave owners who, you know, I mean, I, I just I, I, I believe that genuinely the majority of us accept that that's who we are. Rev is self-interested. Josh is self-interested. I'm self-interested. It doesn't mean i'm it doesn't mean I'm not kind. I'm not decent. I'm not um, you know, tr- trying to look after others secondarily. But the majority of my focus and attention is I'm got a house payment. I got a car payment. I got kids. I got bills. I got responsible. I wish Rev nothing but the best. But I've got my nut to crack. I've got my life to preserve. I've got my upward mobility to attain. So that is my self interest. And when I wake up at four thirty every morning, one of the first things that crossed my mind is what do I need to get done today or this week or this month or this year to advance my self-interest now, now here's where I think government intervenes and, and we can agree to what uh, disagree to what degree government needs to intervene but but when Rev wakes up every day with a with a uh, keen awareness in how to uh, advance his self-interest Josh does that I do that but but it has to be government has to allow some mutual benefit I mean, government policy, legislation, um, you know, platforms, agendas can't say, Hey, I'll let Dave do what he wants to do. And if Ken gets his ass handed to him, that's just Ken's problem. I think government has a responsibility to allow Rev, Ken, Josh, all of you who get up every day trying to advance your self-interest, but it's got to be in mutually beneficial ways. And that goes back to capital. And that goes back to, I'll give you an example. Um, I don't believe that the South Carolina General Assembly would have ever been as aggressive in shutting down uh, video poker had there been a restaurant with one or two machines, a bar with one or two machines, a convenience store with one or two machines. But the next thing you know, there's a building that's been subdivided and it's got, you know what I mean, it's got Mm -hmm. 100 machines in it, So (laughs) some of these casinos casinos, in South Carolina. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, somebody was trying to advance their self-interest. And somebody said, hey, man, that's not mutually beneficial. You know, that, those two machines at the back of that restaurant, eh, you know, maybe morally and ethically I don't agree with them, but I get it. I mean, I understand it. Restaurant owner wants some extra income. You know, the guy that owns the machines wants to put two here and two over there. Next thing you know, the government says, I'm not sure that's mutually beneficial. I'm not sure these um, these casinos here and there and yonder, and I don't. it doesn't matter what your opinion is of gambling or not or, or gaming or not or buying lottery tickets or playing Video poker or you know the um, uh, gambling on football games or baseball or basketball games that's your right I mean you know I think you deserve the right to make those decisions but but I do believe government has a responsibility to make sure when all of us get up every day trying to advance and secure our our personal interests our best interests it, it's got to is, is it mutually beneficial now do I expect government to get it right all the time Of course not of course I don't in fact, I expect them to get it wrong as much as they, get it, as they get it right. But I've always felt when I was in elected office, that was my job. It's not to stop Reb from advancing his self-interest. It's not to stop Josh from advancing his self-interest. But it's to make sure that Josh doesn't get his share and Dave's share. That there's got to be some mutual benefit. I'm not talking about redistributionism. I'm not talking about I work all day to make $2 and you stay in the bed all day and I owe you a dollar. I mean that's that that's preponderant. I mean that that's just that they that, that doesn't even deserve to be considered as part of the debate. But we all wake up every day. Well, we're we're kind of there though. Well, me, that's exactly where we are, and and that's why I'm saying policy needs to revert to uh, allowing all of us to preserve and advance our self interest, but some mutual benefit. I, I just think that, and I go back to to the economy. I go back to the family. Uh, the American way of life, I mean, that's kind of an all-encompassing statement I mean, the American way of life, uh, pretty much requires Dave to get up every day, advancing his self-interest and Josh to advance his self-interest and me and all of you to advance ours. But we can't, I mean, I, I, I got a friend of mine who's told me before, um, when I got in politics, he told me one day and I never get, he said, you can't win every time. You've you got to think of other people. I mean, you, you always believe your idea is the best idea, or you change your mind. But, but, but believe it or not, your idea is not always the best idea. <laughs> I mean, th- th- there are other people with pretty good ideas, and you've got to let them participate in the body politic, in the advancement of, a, of an agenda or a platform or a particular policy issue or not. But, but I just think that's the role of government as far as I'm concerned. It just not to stop anybody from advancing their self-interest. But but it is to make sure the country mutually benefits from all of us advancing our best interests and I, and I, I go back to labor and and I, I think that's what happened. What had happened was I think capital got too much preferential treatment, labor was too disparaged, and we had kind of a um a political you know upheaval. and And out of that is coming, I think, a, a political uh, realignment. And all I'm arguing is. That, that that's the I mean that that's the nurturing emotion right I mean I'm I'm mad as crap and I'm not going to take it anymore uh, you know Capital and Wall Street and Vanguard and BlackRock and I mean do, what do you associate those companies with labor or capital <laughs> Capital I mean they're very capital intensive and, and and people like us oh, say well that's just not fair I mean it's not fair well it's not but but do you really expect Vanguard and BlackRock not to wake up tomorrow trying to advance their self-interest and I think government has a job to make sure as they try to advance their their self-interest it's mutually beneficial to the masses and I do believe that if you're not careful you'll drift off into redistributionism or collectivism or socialism and that's what we America firsters are have to going to be on guard because we're basically saying Rev we're admitting that it's time for us to be more activist than we normally are right I mean, historically, conservatives, say, get out of the way and let the market do what the market does. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, America First was saying, that didn't work so well. I mean, that didn't work so well. So, so let's let's create some mutual benefit where everybody, I mean, it's not the Springsteen, you know, in the end, every nobody wins unless everybody wins. I mean, that, that's, there is a blurring of the lines there. There is no doubt about it. And if you aren't careful, you'll kind of drift off into that camp. But it goes back to what we said last week. There were people in 16 deciding who to vote for, Donald Trump or Bernie Sanders. I mean, I I don't know how many it was, but there were people whose top two choices in 16 were Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump, Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders. It was a protest emotion. I mean, it was born out of a frustration they have with government. But I think at the root of that frustration is this economy is not mutually beneficial. Some people to get more than their fair share. Some aren't getting as much of their fair share, and it's not because they aren't working hard enough. And they're working harder. They've distorted and manipulated. I mean, there's a difference in Rev waking up two hours earlier than I do, staying at work an hour later than I do, living in a bigger house with a longer driveway. I mean, that's the American way. There's no doubt about that. But but the next thing you know, Rev gets on a jet and flies to Washington and stays a month, and I come back and realize how distorted and manipulated he has, You see where I'm headed? I mean, I am all for Rev getting up an hour earlier, staying up an hour later, being more diligent, more persistent, harder worker. He deserves more than I deserve. But getting on a plane flying to Washington, playing a game, monkeying around with public policy, that's just not the American way. Let's go to the phone. David in the PD. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Skyline
10: Chili Baker. Hey, man, did you see, Ken, did you see Dave's Braves at the Great American Ballpark over the weekend? I watched a little bit and heard the game coming home from the beach yesterday. I'm telling you, man, that was awesome series. Uh, I think they were all one-run games, bunch of home runs, uh, and they were referenced in the 1957 Reds. Uh, they had a winning streak back in the day, and there was a guy named Ted Kozuski. I don't know if you remember that name. I do. You do? Okay. That was a guy. He actually, his arms are so big, he had to cut his sleeves out of his jersey. So I think he had invented what we call the muscle shirt. But when I think of Cincinnati, I had good times there. I think that's a city that divides the north and the south. It's another thing about it. They got a company there called Procter & Gamble. And they make a lot of consumerism products, this, that, and I think about they make Thai detergent, and where they make the Thai detergent is in Lima, Ohio, where they make the Abram tanks. That's where General Dynamic is. So that kind of – you balance the defense and, and, and spending and this and that with the consumerism. In the old school uh, globalism, you would look at a country like Vietnam. Okay, let's go make it safe uh, for them to buy our product. Uh, Well, that makes a little bit of sense, but if you look at today, I mean, uh, we're building everything overseas. And back in the day, I think there was – private sector was you took care of your worker, they would take care of the customer, and then the stockholder would do well. And then eventually I think people looked at the customer, the worker, the stockholder. Today it is stock manipulation. Maybe we can – uh, help the customer they could care less about the worker that's why they sent it to these places all over the world. but that's where your blackrock has gotten their money from stock manipulation and think about how many people work for the government or government union unions or they're just dependent on the government and that's sad. that's a sad economic model. y'all have a good day
0: thank you David appreciate it eight four three. 6610937. Let's go to the phone.
2: I, I was going to say he talked about Skyline Chili. Love Skyline Chili being from Cincinnati, but I saw advertisements when I watched the game in the ballpark there for UDF, United Dairy Farmers, and it reminded me of the unique chocolate malts they serve at the UDF
0: in Cincinnati. Is Cincinnati southern or or midwestern? I mean, it's a midwestern town, mm-hmm. but, but is it more southern or more northern? That's a good question because a lot of people
2: consider Kentucky southern, Correct, especially if you're in in Cincinnati, in mm-hmm. Ohio, I'd I'd say
0: it's I'd say northern. It's kind of the crossroads. It is. It? Okay. It is. It's a um. I mean, it's always been. I mean, the Reds are an iconic American baseball franchise. I mean, if you're my age of my generation, Reds said he grew up in Cincinnati and thought everybody had a big red machine. Well, there was only one big red machine. <laughs> I did, yeah. Um. And and if you're a kid, I was born in '63, so in '75 and '6 when the Reds won back-to-back World Championships, I would have been what 12 and 13 ish somewhere there about i mean that's a very impressionable age and i wanted to be johnny bench one day and george foster the next day and pete rose the next day and i mean my, my brother would flap his arms like joe morgan remember the uh <laughs> joe morgan would uh anyway uh never never seen a game on artificial turf until i watched uh, the reds play one saturday afternoon with Q- tony quebec and joe garagiola doing the play-by-play let's go to fun. cool dean and sumter listening to wdxy hello dean you're on the air
1: Thank you. Good morning to y'all. Um, I agree with Ken. There is a disconnect and a disparity between corporate and laborers. Laborers, um, but that's always going to be somewhat the case. And yes, more could be done to make it better. But like the company that I work for, I make a good wage, make decent money, and everything. But what's killing me and killing the vast majority of Americans nowadays is inflation. You can make as much money as possible, but when you're going to the store and everything is costing way more than it did four years ago, you're never going to be able to get ahead. That's, in my opinion, that's what really needs to be addressed is the inflation side of it. And you get that under control, then you would be able to advance better, be able to save more, buy more, everything. But it's just my opinion. Thank you for taking my call.
0: Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. could agree more. I mean, there's no question about it. Right now, inflation is harming the American worker probably more than anything. But, but the, painting with a broad brush, I'm talking about market fundamentalism. And I have ascribed to that. The majority of my life has spent defending uh, the markets. And market fundamentalism is something I'd probably be accused and guilty of. But 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 once again, I don't think I understood the distortion that that certain places in our market have been victimized by our government. And it's not the government. It's not, you know, I don't know that the government wakes up every day, and I'm talking about the government, the government is one man. But I don't know that the government wakes up every day saying, Hey, let's get the workers. Let's get the construction guys. Let's get the cab drivers. Let's get those guys down south. Um, but, but I think they're for, for winners, they're losers. And I learned that in my life as a, as a politician. When I banged the gavel as presiding officer of the state senate, one side won, one side lost. The yeas have it or the nays have it. And it's a zero-sum game. Um, I mean, I would imagine there was some compromise in subcommittees and committees and and between lobbyists and whatnot. But, but, but I, I just think, and, and I go back to, the, 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 the stark reality of every one of us wake up every day. Uh, the caller just now is talking about inflation. Inflation is, an, is a hindrance to his advancing his self-interest, right? But I mean, he said he made a good wage, got a good job. He, he sounded very reasonable and, and happy and appreciative. But right now, inflation. Well, guess what inflation is? I mean, it's, a, it, it's an obstacle. I mean, it's something that person is having to deal with to advance their self-interest. We're all dealing with that. Um, my wife and I went to Publix in Pauly's Island Saturday. Um, you know, a, a, an index. I like to say this: an index a bag of groceries cost sixty bucks. I mean, that's absurd. It's absurd what things cost today. Who creates inflation? Did the worker in? Did, did the worker create inflation? Did the American family create inflation? No. I mean, the government created inflation by manipulating. Are distorting the money supply. 40% of all dollars in circulation today didn't even exist prior to COVID. Stew on that for a second. How is that not going to lead to rampant inflation? Take a break. 843-661-09370. Our listeners, an apology. We got all sorts of shenanigans going on with the Bidens, and we've not talked at all about it. I've got a couple of things I want to read. I've laid out kind of a sequence of events and what we know what we're speculating on no, really um, I've, I've been watching mainstream media i'm watching nbc cbs
2: abc cnn msnbc and and i haven't seen anything about this so there just must not be anything well, to see it's, it's
0: interesting the mainstream media is so in what's happening in russia and, and not at all <laughs> at what's happening in our in our nation's capital i mean that's me being cynical a bit but um <laughs> But but I've tried to put together, actually did a little bit of it last night, these things we know, these things were kind of sort of – I mean, even Chuck Todd said Friday uh, on his – because I think Todd's being replaced at Meet the Press, but he's got this daily show. And even he said that some of these transcripts look credible. So some of the reporting of uh, the whistleblower in the IRS that said, you know, they stonewalled, they slow-walked. Um, I mean, we'll find out. I mean, I just think we're to a point now. We're going to find out. I mean, the black lesbian was challenged on it in the uh, in the White House press corps. Um, John Kirby didn't storm out of the room, but when asked, I mean, someone read him the WhatsApp uh, message, text message that Hunter Biden. Hunter Biden may be lying. I mean, his father may not know anything. His father may have never discussed his business dealings. I, I don't buy that, but that could be true. I mean, that's got to be a a possible, you know, truthism in all of this. But um, but but I just think that's there's too much smoke here. I mean, there's just I don't know what the fire is. Is it a is it a um you know a total rebuke of the Biden administration, the career that Joe Biden has been held. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'd, I'd be in, I mean, I'd be very judgmental in forming an opinion and, and saying I'm sure of this when I don't know. And that goes back to something uh, that that really bothered me last week. I listened to a couple of guys who do what I do. And they do it to much larger audiences and make a lot more money than I do. But they're always wrong. I mean, they're always saying, we know this is the case. And, and we know this is the truth. And, and I'm going like, well, why don't I know it? I mean, I'm reading the same material you're reading. I don't think you're that much brighter than I am. I'm reading it, and I don't know these things, but but you know these things to be true, and they they tell the audience that this is coming tomorrow, and it doesn't come, and it's coming the next day, and it doesn't come, and, and I'm told Rev this. I mean, if I've got to do that, that then I'll find something else to do. Apologizing yesterday for what I said the day before, apologizing today for what I said yesterday, uh, not apologizing, but having to figure out a way to wiggle off the hook. You know, yeah, I said that, but it didn't turn out to be true. But you know what they do, or you know what they you know what they say. No, I want to be very careful. We're making very serious accusations about the president of the United States. Now, there are things we know. I mean, we know there are bank records. We know there are LLCs. We know that Hunter Biden uh, got paid a lot of money to do certain things. We don't know what. Um, he may be an able board member on some of these companies. I mean, I don't believe that. But but I I'd, I I'd, I'd like for us to get further down the road of what we know to be true, and and I said it you know we um we spe- we're speculating on some of these things some of these things like excuse me the IRS supervisory agent Greg Shapley I mean he's on the record I mean he is accusing uh, the administration of stonewalling or slow walking the investigation that's his word against theirs we don't know any of that. To be true, we do know that CNN is beginning to pay a little bit of attention to this story. Um, the New York Times says zero reporting. I mean, imagine that. You've got all these accusations. For, for for argument's sake, let's say they're nothing but accusations. I mean, there is no they there. The, the New York Times still has an obligation when an oversight chair, a judiciary chair, uh, several whistleblowers say these things to me. If you're a journalist, you either prove or disprove. Um, them to be true. You don't take a pass on all of these, right. and it's just interesting to me. I, I guess the story of the weekend to me is, you know, the the media talking about Ukraine and and Russia and the the, the mercenaries and the 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 the, the insurgents saying, you know, what we believe and what and what we don't believe, and and the New York Times says reports out of Moscow is, and I'm going like, wow, they they believe the reports out of Moscow, but they don't believe the oversight chair. I mean, they, they, they'll believe some of these, um, uh, the company Wagner and some of these Mercer I mean, they, they'll they'll believe some of the stories about that, but they won't report what the oversight chair has to say about some of the accusations uh, being made or the um the Ways and Means chair. Remember, Chairman Thompson uh, toward the end of the week last week. Uh, J- I'm sorry, Jason Smith, Chairman Smith of the uh, Ways and Means said last week that um you know they have a lot of uh, information and, um, incredible reporting that says this is true or that it's just mind boggling to me how quick they accepted the Russian narrative or the Wagner narrative or the Ukraine narrative. I'm mean, going an, an American media publication is so interested, keenly interested in what's happening in Russia, Ukraine, Burisma, uh, excuse me, um, uh, Belarusia or Belarus, yeah. uh, it's Burisma. They're not too yeah, interested. They're, in. they're not <laughs> interested. It's B- B- Belarus that they are very interested in. <laughs> and, um, and this guy that they thought was a hero and lauded as a hero, all of a sudden he gets on a plane and goes to Belarus. I mean, I, I don't know what to make of any of that, but, but I do know that they seem to be interested in it. They seem to be reporting about it. And maybe once again, it's this generational disposition that, um, that people on our team have historically had. And I'm talking about the Wall Street Journal and National Review because I knew this was going to happen. The second that the insurgents reared its head and there appeared to be a coup underway. And it was, um, you know, the, um, I mean, it's, it's from one brutal dictator to another, but anyway, it is what it is. Pick your brutal dictator uh, of the day. But, um, but it was interesting to me how many in the National Review we're like, yeah, back to business as usual, you know. the, the military-industrial complex sees an opportunity to present, propose the world as the dangerous place it needs. You know, nine hundred billion. The world's a dangerous place, but I mean, this is proof of it. So, for you out there who want to cut military spending and not spend a trillion dollars a year every year, every single year, um, don't you see why we must? And I mean, it just it, it reinforces my suspicion of the Wall Street Journal of the National Review. I mean, they, they, they bought into this American empire. They're fond of the American empire. They believe the preservation of the American empire is predicated upon nearly a trillion dollars a year in annual defense funding. And, um, and Trump is a or perceived as an anti-war president. And because he's an anti-war president, he must be dealt with accordingly. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Nick in
2: Lexington. Good morning. You're on.
11: morning, Ken. I've been kind of in and out today, and I was wanting to mention some things I had heard about you are talking about young families and and this, and they're talking about how much later people are getting married. Um, One of the things I thought was interesting that you might like to research, I heard a stat. Now, granted, it was just on YouTube, so take it for what it's worth. That 80% of men between 25 and 35 who are single haven't had a date in three years. That uh, 90% of the girls on dating apps swipe on the same 10% of guys in the market.
0: Have you heard of it? Have you thought of yeah, it? Yeah, I, mean, I don't know that I know those exact stats, but I, I've read things very similar to that. I sure have.
11: You know, and that um, a lot of younger guys, um, like in the preteens, are going to that. Is it Andrew Tate, that real alter misogynist, talking about, you know, are you familiar with who I'm talking about? I am. Talking about how, how men have. Boys have been emasculated so much they really don't know how to act anymore with our schools. And I just thought it was interesting and and that men are opting out for two other reasons. It's really not a good deal with our laws when you get divorced and the, and the uh, presence, the ease of porn. And I thought that I would point those couple of things out if you haven't thought about that. And I think about it, you know, I was like, you know, it's just not worth the hassle. Sometimes they're saying some of the guys when they're interviewed and I thought I'd just point that out and I, I didn't know if it had been mentioned.
0: Thank you, Nick. Appreciate that. I believe at the core of some of what we're dealing with, and we, we've talked about this in some way, shape or form. And I love to get, I mean, I think we can really go down the road with this the The concept of masculinity is aggressive. I mean, it's not it's not bound by the constraints. In other words, um, you better not do that. The um, I mean, I think what's the Dobson? Uh, the Family Guy? Uh, James yeah, Dobson. J- James Dobson. Uh, you know, focus on the family. That's where I was headed. Focus on the family. James Dobson talked about raising boys and raising girls. You know, a girl gets on her bicycle, jumps a ramp and skins her knee and says, I'll never do that again. I mean, that's crazy. Uh, the risk-reward proposition makes no sense that a boy does it and skins both of the knees and says, well, it's obvious the rent went high enough. I, mean, <laughs> I wasn't going. I wasn't going fast enough. I mean, there's something about men. I mean, there, obviously there's something about women that society needs and, 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 and must have as part of you know, who we are and what we're about. But I think the, the, the war on masculinity is being ideally conceived, and it's about conformity masculinity i don't i don't know the the, the i don't know the um the anonym for masculinity or excuse me for um conformity i don't have any idea but but it's pretty damn close to masculinity because masculinity says that that i you know i'll try things that maybe don't make sense I, i'll do things that have never been done before um I, i'll exhibit a, a certain i don't know primitiveness you, you see where i'm headed i mean almost like yeah this doesn't make sense but somebody must do it um with with all due respect to the females, how many women were in that submersible? I mean, women said, that doesn't make sense. I'm not going down there in a in a submersible made from Home Depot. I mean, there, there's nothing and men said, I don't know. Looks like he's got it taped up pretty good. You know. I think the light of work. You see where I mean mm. I, I just think there's something instinctive about manhood, instinctive about masculinity. And I think when government decides that it wants to control more and more and more aspects of our life it removes some of the barricades and one of the major barriers to government control is masculinity i mean there's no official survey that says wow the government can't control these people because they're more masculine than, than other people I, I i noticed this when i put something on facebook about my father because my father was a complicated man my dad and i didn't have uh the perfect relationship it was like any other i mean i've said it before and i'll say it. my dad was my hero and the ghost that haunted every day of my life still is he's still my hero and the ghost that haunts every day of my life but my dad was a man unapologetically a man and and my dad i guess taught my brother and i that there's no shame nor embarrassment in manhood and masculinity is to be celebrated and it was so interesting to me when I put that on Facebook, and I'm not encouraging people to go to my Facebook page, but, but how many women were like, amen, amen. I mean, I think women understand that, that masculinity is a necessity to advance in a society, and I think Nick is all over it there about the, um, you know, we're, we're convincing boys that masculinity is bad. And you better be careful with it because, I mean, you, you know, you, you'll get yourself in trouble. You'll do something you shouldn't do. Well, maybe you will, but you'll provide a very necessary attribute to a, uh, you know, an ongoing society and, and culture.
2: You'll, you'll hurt feelings. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, you know, so what? You will get your feelings hurt. Exactly. You know, yeah. that's that's kind of a two way, a two way street. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. We'll be back in a minute with our Takes Mondays to Make Fridays trivia, courtesy of our good friends at Pepsi of Florence. It is time for our Takes Mondays to make Friday's trivia. Thanks to our good friends at Pepsi of Florence. We talked about sports, talked about manliness and, um, and masculinity. Mm-hmm. So here's a sports-oriented question. Uh, maybe some woman out there knows the answer to this, but I guess I'd be misogynist in my delivery of this question. <laughs> uh, first correct answer wins a six-pack, a Pepsi product, a couple of Takes Mondays to make Friday's um, T-shirts. So you ready? Rev is from Cincinnati. I'm not, but I grew up a fan of the big red machine. We talked about back-to-back world championships. It's going to be a little more difficult. Who did the Reds beat in 75 and 76? I need both teams. I mean, I want to find out who the true baseball Mm -hmm. fans are out there. The Cincinnati Reds, the big red machine, won back-to-back world series championships in 1975 and 1976. Who did they beat in seventy-five and seventy-six to win back-to-back world championships? Hi, you are on the air. Do you know the answer? The Atlanta Braves. Nope. Eight four three-six six one oh nine three seven. Who did they win? Who did they beat in seventy-five and then in seventy-six?
2: Uh, the next caller just dropped. We've okay. got to wait for the line to.
0: Okay. Wait for the line to clear. Who did the Cincinnati Reds beat in seventy-five and seventy do Doesn't have to be the same team. Um they beat this team in seventy five and this team in seventy six to win back to back world championships. Hi, you are on. Do you know the answer?
9: The Boston Red Sox.
0: That's right for one. How about the other? Oh I didn't get the other. Yeah, okay. 843 Need both teams. Hi, you're on. You know the answer? Red Sox and the Yankees. You're right. Beat the Red Sox in seventy five and the Yankees in 76 who is this and where are you calling from
10: can't. Okay, this day but i couldn't help but calling on this one Thank i'm you,
0: a buddy. red sox fan well i knew that one yeah remember the Carlton fisk home run you know stay fair baby, Absolutely. Stay fair, baby. That's, <laughs> that's my man <laughs> stay fair, jim, jim ryan uh, there you go brother we'll get back we'll get you back to josh in just a second he'll get all the information thanks to our good friends at pepsi and florence um yeah the reds beat the red sox in seven in 75, and that's the famous Carton Fisk home run. And then I think they beat the Yankees. I think they swept the Yankees in four straight in 76. And, um, I mean, you know, it's easy to be a fan of a winner <laughs> if mm-hmm. you're good. You like to be a fan of a winner, so um,
2: and it, and it's true. I grew up in Cincinnati, and in '75 and '76, I would have been seven and eight years old, and I just thought every team,
0: every city, had their own big red machine. It's just what it's just what you have, it's it's what you do. St- but it's still one of the greatest baseball teams ever. I oh, mean, it, it really and truly is. It was kind of the it was complete different than the Atlanta Braves, but the Braves had that run, and it was pitching, 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 pitching. the The Reds had very average pitching but probably the best day-to-day lineup of anybody. I mean, any team I can remember. I mean, it was an all-star at every position, and then you had – I mean, you and I could have been on the pitching staff and probably won, you know, 80 or 90 games. But um, thanks to Pepsi of Florence, thanks to um, whomever is out there listening. David is a big sports fan and uh, Boston Red Sox fan. So, um, yeah, the Reds beat the Red Sox despite Fisk uh hitting the home run to, I think, may have won game six. I, 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 I'll get something wrong here. I want to stop while I'm ahead. But uh, but thanks to Pepsi Florence. I mean, that sincerely. Thank you very much to our good friends at Pepsi. Programming note, I mean, we'll be on the air live tomorrow, Wednesday, Thursday. We're not sure about, I mean, we know we're live Friday. We're not sure if we'll have a regular show or try to change it up just a little bit. Um, I'm good about changing it up but not realizing how much work has to happen behind the scenes for changing it up. So I've been real guarded and careful this year about, and it's going to be a little bit different. We we may do some things differently before we're off uh, on vacation the following week, but we'll get with Josh and Rev and make sure we're respectful of the work that has to be done. Um, unlike the last two years when I was not quite as respectful about the work, that <laughs> well, yeah, why well, start now? <laughs> that, that had to be done. Well, I'm maturing. Uh, okay, uh, I'm maturing here. It? Yeah, I'm, well, I'm losing good. my masculinity. <laughs> I'm conditioning. Uh, I've been conditioned to conform. Is what is? Uh, is what is happening? I don't to me. believe that. Uh, yeah, you do. Uh, we'll. Hey, not take a break. We'll get out of here. Enjoy your day. We'll talk tomorrow.